to the brand new episode of Unlove the Process. And uh, before we get started on this show, I had, I was kind of up late last night sort of thinking about this issue that's been bugging me for a little while now. And there's been a bunch of stuff that has happened to me this week or a bunch of things that I've seen this week that really have me pondering this question. And this is a question that I don't have the answer to. Um, but this is a question I feel like we should talk about, especially on the show. And it really comes down to like, how healthy is your attention span at this point? Like how healthy do you think your attention span is? Um, and also as an additive to that is how often are you critically thinking about things? And I bring this up because it feels like, at least from my experience, I'm overwhelmed by social media. I'm overwhelmed by the common voice that seems to run through everybody right now. And whether that's through Instagram, if you're still on Facebook, whatever that thing is, I feel like there's this one common voice, one sort of thread of manipulation that is running through all of us right now. Uh, and maybe that's because I'm a Generation Xer. Maybe that's because I am a cynical thinker, um, which blows my mind that everybody isn't. Maybe that's just because I'm a small generation <laughs> that was that way. Um, anyway. I want to talk about this stuff on the show today, and I've got two guests with me. Uh, I, returning on the podcast is our favorite, Brett McCabe. This is the sound of my voice. <laughs> and for those of you who haven't gone back and listened to the catalog, fucking shame on you. You probably should. I don't remember what episode number you were, but Brett was the unappreciated PA episode in which we talked about your amazing career working on reality TV. And being fired from such. <laughs> being fired from reality TV. Um, but uh, Brett is a local LA guy. He's been a friend of mine for years. We actually met uh, doing uh, music. How did we meet? Was it on music video shoots? I think we had mutual friends doing stand-up comedy. Oh, that was how we met. So it was like through Aaron and all those guys. And Aaron Tybersky and uh, Nick Palm, maybe. Yeah, Nick Palm, yep. Yep, that's how we met. And then uh, you worked on some of the Kill Switch Engage videos with us. I came to understand that you are a complete metal nerd and a. Are you a new metal lover? Are you a new I'm metal? I'm a fucking beloved <laughs> uh, fan. I just, within the past 30 days, or sorry. Uh, 40 to 60 days, I've seen Cold in concert. I've Jesus seen Christ. Power Man 5000 <laughs> in concert. Went by myself, made friends. <laughs> you went by? Yeah. Whoa, you went by yourself to a Power Man 5000 legacy show at yeah. this point. They're yeah. not putting out new albums. They're just no, playing. No, they the are. Really? And their last album is a fucking party rocker. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Brian. <laughs> I almost played some of those jams at your New Year's party. I was like, we got to get this party going. We need some Power Man 5000. Well, that would wake everybody up. Yeah. I think that would spawn all sorts of critical thinking if you put that <laughs> shit on during the show, man. Well, yeah, at the cold show, I went alone and I made friends there. And now I'm subscribed to uh, her astrology podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, cool. That would also explain why it was a good choice to have you come and assist me uh, when we went and did the Jordan Rudis interview with Dream Theater, which we will get to on the show. We got 
Brett has the real story. I'm biting my tongue right now. I thought that happened. Uh, but I also wanted to take a minute and introduce everybody on the show to uh, our new assistant here at the podcast, my new assistant here at the podcast. He is a fan of the show. You had been on the show before when I had done the the school episode where I was the uh, a guest speaker telling kids in college not to go to college. <laughs> oh, shit. I would do that, too. Um, Guys, I went to college. Don't go to fucking college. <laughs> that seems to be a pretty big consensus right now. Or at now. least until Bernie or Warren get elected. <laughs> uh, Liam is on the show. And you guys are going to hear... Say hi. I'm sorry I was talking to you. Hi. There he is. So you know his voice. He's going to be on the show. He's going to be assisting me for the next few months. You'll hear him chiming in. Um, and I'll be throwing some questions at you as the show progresses. Um, but it's very exciting. It's part of the expanse of season two. I don't know when season two is going to end. I think season two is going to go for a little while. Uh, I think maybe it'll go. What, are, what episode are we on right now? 65, 65? I can't believe you got renewed. Wow. Season two. Yeah. I got, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, the <laughs> algorithms told me that it's okay. And then I can continue to go. Yeah. No, it's a good one. It's 2020. We're all making content now. <laughs> you're irrelevant if you're not. All right. So this show is going to be a little loose. I've got two guys here in the million dollar facility that we're recording in here. Hold for plane. No, fuck the planes. This is not kind of show. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know the deal. Uh, you should probably grab yourself uh, something to eat because it's going to be a while. Sit back, relax, and enjoy us talking shit on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. So let's get back to what I was uh, initially saying in the intro of the show and sort of expand on this and you guys can, uh, can chime in. I have personally been feeling this way. I feel like it's a, it's a being a freelancer, being someone that has to be self-fucking-motivated to do shit. Uh, I don't have a boss. I don't have someone to check in with. I don't have someone telling me I did a good job this week. I don't have any of that. And there's a thousand reasons why I shouldn't be working right now. And there's a thousand reasons fed to me why I shouldn't be working right now. Whether it's, I've got this brand new show that's on Netflix, it's going to take me 15 fucking hours to get through. Or I just go on something like Instagram and I find, and I go on that fucking thing because I need to go on that thing. I need to get your attention. I need to get people interested in the show. And it's literally, if you're someone doing it yourself... DIY. If you're DIYing whatever it is that you're doing, it's a perfect way to reach an audience. In theory. In theory, it's a perfect way to reach your audience. Um, but then what's ha- what happens ultimately is that through the process of algorithms, through the process of that constant chase for whatever they, whatever they say, that dopamine hit. So like, I'm feeling like shit right now. No one's listening to my show. Let me post something cute. Oh, cool. I got some fucking likes. I accomplished something today. Did I? You know what I mean? And I... I find it really difficult as a creative to get out of that shit. And to actually, when, when I'm on Instagram, you'll sit there and you'll be on the fucking thing. And then next thing you know, it's two hours have gone by. And I should have got out of bed. 
and I should have fucking worked out. And I should have fucking wrote the intro for the show. You know what I mean? And I, I, do you guys feel that same way dealing with social media today? Yeah. Uh, for a while, I was doing the grayscale on the phone thing. What do was you know it? about this? No, what is this? Uh, supposedly, if you change your, your phone screen or really any screen that your eyes are just addicted to, if you just suck all the colors out of there, you'll get less of that dopamine rush really? when you're staring at it. So that way, the idea is you'll only use your phone when you need to use your phone. So uh, How'd it work? I think it worked, but then every once in a while, if I'm like taking a photograph, I want to see what the colors look like. So then you turn so, it back yeah, on. And, and then like, I forgot about it. <laughs> it's like someone, it's like you're, look, you're trying to figure out how to smoke cigarettes and you're just like, well, I, I got to go into this place and this guy's smoking. And then you walk in there and the next thing you know, you go through a fucking pack of cigarettes two days later, right? And I draw that relation because Jesus Christ, I feel like it's the same thing. I feel like we're going to advance in the future 20 years from now and they're going to go, all those, all those idiots were on their fucking phones all the time. They were just addicted to their fucking phone devices. I mean, do you feel that way? Because you're the, you're the youngest guy here. What, are you, what is your thought? Uh, yeah, um, I'm forced to be on my phone, mostly because uh, now that I'm literally 3,000 miles away from everybody that I've known for the past umpteen years, uh-huh. uh, I'm constantly on there talking to people. But, you know, I'm in a long-term rela- or a long-distance relationship, and so we communicate mostly through Facebook. And so it's like I'm on Facebook to talk to her and then I'll stay on Facebook and then I'm stuck there and you look at it and you're like, Jesus Christ, it's been fucking an hour and a half now. I need to go. But then somebody else posts some bullshit and then I have to comment on that shit. So yeah, it does. It In the beginning, you feel like, oh, okay, I'm doing this for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And then you're stuck in that vortex. And as, speaking as someone in comedy... The idea is to become so successful that you can then delete your social media because <laughs> I don't want to be on Facebook or anything. I would love to fuck over Mark Zuckerberg and just leave, but we need it to, uh, well, socialize is it's not that important, but it's promotions. We, we need, yeah, we need to promote our stuff. Yeah. 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 That's the, and and, and if it didn't, if it didn't work, it works. So if it didn't work, you'd eventually, I'd eventually hit a point where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing on this? And there's been a bunch of things that I've tried out through the years, whether it's like spending like adequate hours building like a, a wildly intense website. And then you just sort of hit a point where you're like, people don't even go to the fucking website. So why am I spending all this time on the website? Let's just put some basic information and put some real stuff on there and literally use it as a hosting spot that I can just send specific folks to and not put all this attention into it. Because then I've talked about it on the show before, most creative directors now are just fucking looking through Instagram for that shit. And then you ask yourself, are they signing on to Instagram to find stuff? Or are they just finding you in between like that sweet shot of girl with her nipples coming through her shirt and this other thing and going like, this is pretty cool. Hold on, I'll add it to this folder, which is potential photographers that I may work with at some point in time. So... It's it's weird, man, because it's all sort of blended together as like the soup of attention and, and the hunt for attention. And then whenever I'm done on Instagram, I don't feel smarter. I always feel I always feel lethargic. I feel fucking dumb. And I go through this process of letting the most basic form of entertainment tickle my funny bone to the point where like how often do you guys write comments back to someone and you go laugh out loud or ha 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 and you're fucking straight faced at home you're not even doing that emotion 
I'll I'll just type in ha 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 if I find it actually funny. Uh, if I do make a sound, I'll give one of the rare golden LOLs. Oh, so I, I do tell my friends that. I'm like, if I type LOL, I made a noise. I snorted at the very least. <laughs> I try to be genuine about that, but I don't think that most people are. I think it's a lot. A lot of people are saying ha ha or LOL just to be polite. Exactly. <laughs> and, the, and then without getting too personal with you, I ask you this question and you could say, go fuck yourself. Cool. All right. But I ask you this question. You're in a long distance relationship and now you're, I mean, cause you moved out here to LA to basically work on the show with me, which is pretty yeah. insane. I might be regretting that. Yeah. You probably, credit, probably huh? could be regretting that. <laughs> so then, um, my question to you is, why do you guys talk on Facebook more than you just talk? Because you have the ability to literally talk on the phone or even FaceTime or, or Skype. Like Skype or whatever the fuck. I slid in those DMs, man. <laughs> stay in there. But you don't need to slide in those DMs anymore, right? Like you No, already- well, no. Okay, so... Yeah, I basically, the answer is go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mean to call you out on the show. I, no, I'm just, well, yeah, I, okay, so I use, I use a bunch of shit. Um, you know, I, Snapchat is where a lot of people are communicating now. For nudes, it's for nudes. I mean, it, it was, yeah, uh, but no, I'm in, a, I'm in a Snapchat group with a bunch of people in school. Yeah. And we just, we send snaps, and I mean, like, you guys talk about LOL and ha-ha, we send GIFs back and forth, and it's pronounced GIFs. Like I'll go down fighting for that one. Um, <laughs> sure, but sure. but it's like that's what we do. Instead of you know sending like LOL, LMFAO, or whatever, um, it's you you find the funniest laughing GIF that you can find, and then you post that and see what GIF they come up with. And the next thing you know, you've got twenty of them going back and forth, and it's it's about who can find the most creative uh, visual representation of what you're trying to show. Yeah, it's that's where the fun of it is. And you can't do that shit on Instagram. I get that. I get that. But I'm going to continue to be that cynical piece of shit right now. Bring it. <laughs> and I'm going to say to you... Um, it's a generational difference. Right? right now, you and me having this conversation in person, right now, the three of us being in the room, I've laughed legitimately seven times. And we're having... Uh, an emotional conversation in real life. And if I wrote this shit to you, you can interpret that stuff that I sent you as this guy's a fucking asshole. But if you're sitting across from me, you're like, he's just being a dick, but he's a good dude. You know what I mean? That's the theory. You better say yes. You're out of here. (laughs) That's the theory. theory. And my, my, I guess my, my point is, and I sound like such a fucking 40 something year old dude right now. Yes, I do. I know. But my point is, and I said this to you when we first started hanging out, I said, you're going to get more shit from me if you call me instead of fucking texting me, instead of doing any of that stuff. True. And I called you and then you didn't pick up for a week. That's right. That's right. That's right. But you did call me and you did listen. I did. You did listen. And that might be part of the reason why you're here. And I immediately called my professor who said the exact same shit to me six months before then. And he said, I fucking told you so. And then we lost service and I didn't talk to him for another three weeks. But the point is, you get more from physical interaction, and you're going to learn that as we continue. I mean, we went, we don't need to talk about it in specifics right yet, but we went out last night. You got to interact with people. We got to see things. Um, uh, I can, we can talk a bit about it. We went to this event last night that was put on by Quasar Science and by Aperture, and they just did this big release, and they did a video prior to it that you had seen, but they did this big release about the truth behind LED lighting. 
And the truth behind it summed up is that if you use like a rainbow light unit, the cameras can't pick up half those colors. And it never, I could never understand that. This is something that I actually saw in real time when I was doing Bose jobs and I would go in and try to light the backdrops. And I'd pre-design a certain gold color and everything I did, I tried to fucking dial that gold color in. The cameras wouldn't register it. It would always come in as white light. It would always come in as red light. And there were fucking 150 different reasons why. It was like, oh, it's because of the chips in the camera. It's the up to 4K. And last night, they actually told us specifically after doing all their, their um, examinations and their calculations and their, their research that cameras can't pick up those colors off of LED lights. Now, that kill switch video we did, were, were those big light panels you were using? And we were, were those LEDs? Yeah, and we were using a very specific color spectrum. But no, because most of that color off that kill switch video were coming from tungsten bulb units inside of Chimera balls that I was wrapping with gels. So okay. those were all gelled. I vaguely recall like a gold LED uh, light panels in the background. Oh, like behind them in the wall? Yeah. Yeah, so that color wasn't the exact color that I was expecting that to be. It was a subtle shift. And then in post, because it was just a wash, I was able to shift that color to be gold. But which is what they showed last night. Exactly. And and then they showed the difference between what it actually looks like with the gel in camera and then fixing it in post. Exactly. So what they said last night, which is a very controversial statement in the lighting world right now, um, is that you're better off just buying a LED unit that is true white, whether it's like a balanced daylight unit or a balanced tungsten unit and putting gels on it. And they showed the side by side comparisons of an LED unit with a gel and an LED unit dialed in at yellow. And it was day for fucking night difference between those two. If you're looking for accuracy, because yep. that was my question to them. Um, I said, basically what you're telling me is I should get a WW light and then and then just gel it. And then they were like, well, no, look above you. And that's when all the different... Uh, sure. The, and then that's the, the, that's the back pedal. The back pedal on it is that... Uh, you can't program gels. You can't have like a grip fucking change gel colors in a shot. So you do get that. But the issue ultimately with these guys was if you're a production designer and you're like, I'm picking out that specific color blue and that's the color blue that we're going to design the set to. And I decide that I'm going to put uh, light it with LEDs. Uh, depending upon the color spectrum that I'm using to that LED, that blue won't look like it's supposed to. No matter how much you white balance to it, no matter how much you do it, just because the cameras themselves can't pick up that color spectrum. And it's a fascinating thing to look at. And I remember I almost lost my job over it. I, I, like I went to the, we looked at the curve and when it gets into the yellows, it just dips. It doesn't see the yellows. It doesn't see a lot of greens. They're really good for blues and reds. But anyway, we're so deep down in this hole. This is very bold of Quasar to admit this. This is like a scandal totally, <laughs> unraveling. Dude, totally. And the thing that they, they're smart by doing so. Because, and this is what I want to get into on this show, and this is kind of what we do as a species, is we're in such a hurry to create something new and interesting. We're such a fast rush to be like, you know, if you take these charcoal pills, you don't have to worry about your fucking hangovers. If you do this stuff, and we jump on it so quickly because of how it's advertised to us. And we're like... We're into this. It's fucking amazing. And the big sell pitch for uh, bicolor or for rainbow-colored fucking LEDs was you'd never need gels again. That's why it shocked me last night because I had no idea what the thing was about. And I walked in there and there were all the fucking gel companies that were fucking sponsoring it. Yeah. 
And I was like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, they're in the pockets of big gels. Yeah. So then you're just in there and you're like, what are you guys doing here? So it was such a fascinating thing to see because Gene and I were talking about it months prior. And I'm like, gel companies are out of fucking business now. They got to be out of business. Like Roscoe and Lee, they're out of business. Last night, they must have been like, yes. Yes, because now these guys are literally saying you still got to gel the lights. If you want the best quality light or the best quality of color off these lights, you're better off gelling the lights straight up. Isn't that crazy? Well, I'm here to say that MySpace is the best social media website. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because I'm sponsored by MySpace. (laughs) It's coming back. It's crazy, man. And, And I think that... I get it, and they sp- he did a really good job last night. Tim from um, uh, Quasar, I'm going to have him on the show. So Tim from Quasar really explained the science behind it, and he really talks about how difficult it is to make lights that actually fit all these spectrums, but also give the same output of power. Um, and there's still a lot of really great benefits of LED lights because the reactionary method, and we're all very reactionary right now. So you'll see this is like a clickbait fucking title, like RGB lights are trash. You know what I mean? They don't do what they want. You're like, well, dude, LED units are still amazing for the fact that they they draw low power. Their white light is still amazing. Their small footprint. Uh, they're very lightweight to use. And um, I can literally tape it to the back of a car seat and light a scene with it. They're perfect for that. You just got to understand that, that one of their aspects of that sales pitch, which is a big one, was that any of the colors of the rainbow that come off this thing you don't need gels anymore. You can dial it all in. That's not true. And that's not necessarily true. And then the question is, is how long have they known that it's not necessarily true? And then I sort of get into that game of like, what are we just buying what is sold to us? Right? And then people get so crazy about it because I this morning I sent a text to Cruda. And Cruda runs the Cinematography Salon Group, which is like a big cinematographer's group. It's like a Facebook page and everything. And I sent him a text last night. He goes... I read your fucking text last night. You're very reactionary. And I sent him a text going like, you're going to have to buy gels or some shit like that. And he was like, fuck that. Like, he was like, I'm never buying gels. I'm never using gels again. And then I sent him the video this morning on it. What's the video called? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head. I literally just sent it to some of my professors, but I think it's like the science, the real science behind uh, LEDs, but I'll pull it up. Yeah. See if we can get that. And then uh, I sent him that thing this morning and uh, he watched it and he goes, oh shit. And so then he posted it on the cinematography salon and they've been fighting on it and the thing that was so interesting about them doing this thing last night is they had to physically do it in person and they're smart by it where they set up physical displays of it and then they filled the room with professionals that we went in there and saw that they weren't manipulating it with photoshop or with anything else the pepsi challenge exactly well, the Pepsi challenge was manipulating. <laughs> okay, I got it. Okay. The the title is "Color Scientist Explains the Problem with RGB Lights," and it's on the Indie Mogul uh, channel. Okay, that's a clickbait title. Hundred percent clickbait. Oh, hundred fucking percent. Yeah. And so then you hear that title right off the bat, and you go, "Oh, I'm not buying these fucking things anymore." And they're the one doing it. So it, I, it's crazy that they're taking that risk for that clickbait because. Once you do click on it, there's a lot of fucking science involved. And so you're going to sit through, what, the first five seconds of it? And as soon as they start getting real sciencey about it, they're gonna, they're, you're just going to be like, oh, okay, so then they suck. Then they suck. And then the way we are as a culture right now is that they'll buy T-shirts that say LED lights suck. And they watched five fucking seconds of the video. And 
that's how we got to the point with them being that way, where all of a sudden they come out on the marketplace and there's a guy that's got a fucking warehouse full of LED units that are shifting fucking purple on the when they're trying to be white balanced, but he doesn't want you to know that. He's like, they draw low power and they're amazing and they wait. And everybody goes, they're so great. And then they come out with fucking LED lights that can shift color and you can see it with your eyes. And they go, look at all these amazing things you can do. And then people suddenly acquire that as their Bible. LED is the only fucking lights I'll ever use in my fucking life. I was standing in, in line last night at this event, listening to all the other fucking uh, techies that are there and listening to how they define themselves by the technology that they purchase. So they're in line, they go, oh, I only shoot with red. I only ever shoot with red. I'm a red person. And someone goes, well, I don't like the color spectrum of red. I'm a Sony person. And Sony look, color looks so much better. And someone else was like, well, I shot this thing with this. And I'm like, show it to me. Show me what you shot. Is it interesting? Is there any fucking voice to it? Is there a fucking story involved with it? Because the truth of the matter is, you don't need any of this shit. And you're defining yourself creatively. You're defining yourself socially. You're standing in line with fucking strangers. And the first thing you say to them is like, I like to shoot with red and that's the only camera I ever shoot with. And you're like, really, man? That's, that, that's your fucking get-go? Like, how about you tell me about where you come from? How about you tell me about the kind of stories you like to read? How about you tell me about your fucking family history? Like, how about you tell me about the food that you like to eat? But don't define yourself by it. I'm a cheeseburger, man. I only eat fucking cheeseburgers. It's the only thing I ever had in my life. Well, I like tacos, and tacos are really great. Well, you both are going to die from high cholesterol. Who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? I'm ranting. I can see you guys shaking your head. I was, was going to say, as somebody who exclusively only buys Androids and uses PCs, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and as somebody that has advertisers and, 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 and people on the show, but what I say consistently on the show is that all this stuff is their tools. And for some reason in our industries, because you work in sound, Brett, some reason in our industries... We've become, we've become defined by our tools. And it, it's like if you worked uh, as a parks and rec or a fucking construction guy and you're like, I only use Craftsman shovels. Craftsman shovels are the only shovels that I ever use in my fucking life. But if you go talk to one of those guys, they're like, I don't give a fuck. As long as the handle doesn't break and I could dig a fucking hole with it, I toss it in the back of my fucking truck. Why is our industry so focused on this shit? I know they always want me to bring four labs, and I'm like, I got two labs. We'll make it work. <laughs> Do they ever give you shit about the brand that you use, or no? I don't think so. Because they don't market that to us. Yeah. To the average Joe guy, that you're not getting hit with Sennheiser. You're not getting hit with that stuff. But to the average Joe filmmaker, you're getting hit with red logos. You're yep. getting hit with, uh, to this point now, with lights and LED lights. You're getting hit with either quasar you're getting hit with light panel light panel was a big one before quasar or airy I, I do remember a few years ago every client was so fucking hard over red cameras and i just assumed i was like i guess these are the new thing and then when i talked to like cinematographer friends they're like oh no we like ari yeah that's a thing i mean but i can shoot something amazing on a red which i have i shot um kill switch always video that was on a red and I could shoot something amazing on an Ari. I could shoot something amazing on a Nikon D800. 
back in the day when Ian and I started doing music videos, we would do stuff for MTV. We had broadcast on MTV. At the time, we were shooting on mini DV. We were shooting videos on mini DV with lens adapters that got broadcast on MTV next to videos that were shot on 35 millimeter. And it didn't make a fucking difference. The same thing I shot my college film on. Yeah. You guys are shooting mini DV. Yeah, mini DV. So when you look at it that way as an artist, and that's kind of what I want to talk about on the show, is perception and whether or not you're creative, whether or not you're um, critically thinking about this stuff. Like if someone shows up and they say, here's a fix, this is going to fix everything, this is going to be amazing for you, and it stimulates your creativity, that's great that it stimulates your creativity, but also ask, where did this come from? Why did it suddenly come out on the market right now? Why does this guy, what is, what is the benefit of this guy? What is his sales pitch? How is he making this money? And then decide whether or not you want to define yourself by that fucking thing. You know what I mean? I could see you sort of half shaking your head over there, Liam, and yeah. disagreeing with me. No, I, I, well, I agree with it's not the tool because uh-huh. especially like at my level, we can't afford any of this shit. So, you know, getting a red is a completely foreign concept to me. Um, but, but at my level, I have these conversations in class with my classmates and they're sitting there they're like, oh, I just, you know, I just bought an A7S2. And I'm like, cool. And then they're like, well, I just bought, you know, the new Canon. I'm like, okay, cool. I shoot the Lumix line. And, and the only reason I shoot, I, I shoot a G7, which is a $400 body that is literally, I mean, it, it feels like the same weight as my wallet and can fit in my pocket and all that stuff. But it shoots 4K MP4s, which is crap. But, you know, I I spent more money in light, in, yeah, in lighting accessories than I did in my camera accessories. And then I spent more money in lenses than I did on my bodies. And now I've upgraded to a G85 only because I'm using um, really vintage prime lenses that there's a crap ton of camera jitter in there. So I have to use something with in-body stabilization or else I can't use it handheld or whatever. And like, even when I'm focusing in shape. But the point is like that conversation, this debate is happening in the classroom and all the way up to, it's nice to know that even the professionals are sitting there having a pissing contest. I mean, ultimately, I guess my point is that I think it's easier, if you decide that you want to be a filmmaker, if you want decide you want to be a stand-up comedian, Right. Imagine if there was imagine if there was accessories for your industry. Imagine that like part of the reason why you were a great stand up comedian is because you did your own sound or whatever the fuck it is. Right. (laughs) That's what I'm known for. And so (laughs) and so you have these accessories. It's easier to start out and just buy something. It's so much easier. And that has become the marketing ploy for a lot of this stuff. If you want to be a professional editor, buy a MacBook Pro. And so the first thing anybody out of school will do is go buy the MacBook Pro. And it's like, you don't necessarily need that. If you want to be a great editor, what you should be doing is examining scenes. You should be examining cut sequences. You should be examining, you should be doing the hard work. It's that hard work game that I feel like, and I guess it's good for the industry in the long run because you got a lot of drop-offs that happen as I go through that process. But it's that hard work that makes you good. It's that regiment that makes you good. It's that social interaction that makes you good as a storyteller. It's understanding and being empathetic that makes you good. It's having an opinion, but then also being able to listen to somebody else and have your opinion change every day that makes you good and interesting. But there isn't an app for that. There isn't a product for that. And you can't monetize that 
to the point where a, a company would be focused fucking marketing it at us. And, and you don't need a MacBook Pro because uh, we have Puget Systems. <laughs> <laughs> why, listen, why listen to the clients who are telling you to buy Apple when you can get a custom-made system from Puget Systems? It's true, though. And I'm going to fucking defend myself. They're tools. You don't have to buy one, but if you're looking for one, it's a good option. They're tools. You can play Doom on the uh, Touch Bar on the MacBook Pro, so that's a plus. <laughs> there you Holy go. Shit, I'm there sold. <laughs> it changes perception there. <laughs> there you go. That should be uh, that should be the new uh, slideshow on Instagram. <laughs> Did you know you can play Doom on your slide bar? True fact. Uh, I got my latest PC, like the specs that I wanted. What I wanted to, to at least be able to play the last Doom game. <laughs> <laughs> and then coincidentally ended up picking it up for a PlayStation 4 anyway, but whatever. Good. It sounds like you spend your money really well, but Brett. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Great for porn. <laughs> <laughs> it's that important. high def, that yeah. high def. I get that 4K porn screen. But now I got to subscribe to all the porn places to be able to get it 4K. So it's tough. That's uh, the new cable. Yeah. I, I look at it at that 300 by whatever. So there's a tiny little square on my little 4K screen now. It's great. I don't want Yeah. No, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Are you going to do your ad read now? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Right about now is when we uh, take a moment to thank the amazing men and women that helped make this show possible. And uh, I do not want to point, I do not want to miss the opportunity to point out how strange it is for me to be doing ad reads in a show that we've been talking about algorithms and how these places take advantage of you. But I want to point out once again that I try to work with companies that I actually use, companies that I believe in, and I'm going to say this straight up front. I don't care what the sponsors think. You don't have to buy any of these products to make a good movie. You don't need any of these things to be professional. But if you're looking for quality tools... If you're looking for things that will help you make your stuff, you may want to consider these guys. And I can say that for sure because I use their stuff, okay? So first up, good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you are a filmmaker, if you're a sound engineer, if you're a graphic artist uh, and you're on a Mac and the Mac is giving you that pinwheel of death and you've been putting it off because you don't have the money to drop on something massive, you don't want to be in debt on a giant system, uh, maybe you should look into what the rest of us are using, which is PCs. PCs are more affordable on the marketplace. They're easily upgraded, um, and it's not about paying for that unboxing experience. Now, I know a lot of you out there are like, PCs, well, where the fuck do I get a PC from? Do I have to build it myself? Well, you could. I grew up being a guy that liked to build my PCs. I was a little gaming nerd that used to have LAN parties. You ever go to LAN parties, bro? Uh, Yes. But local local Xbox. area networks parties. Yeah, three Xboxes put together to play Halo in a basement. Dude, we used to do massive LAN parties where we'd build PCs, and we went over to my friend's house. I don't know why his mother ever let us do it, and we loaded her house up with 15 full-size PCs on card tables, and we littered the house. So it was like four PCs in one room, down the hallway of the kitchen were two other guys, there was one in the kitchen, there was one in the bathroom, 
We used to play uh, like Delta Force Two was a old PC game, and uh, it had I know that genre. What, what, it was like it was like shooter? yeah, it was like an old military game. And I think the military used to use it to train specific uh, to train people to become better um, snipers or whatever. And they had really cool sniper stuff. And I remember you used to be able to fire a sniper rifle in one room and literally hear the bullet pass through the house if you had everybody arranged the right way because it was a cool little land party. Anyway, weird little story. So yes, I get it. I used to build PCs, but when you get to a point where you're reliant upon your computer to make you money, or if you have a company and you have multiple employees and you need to buy computers for that company, the last thing you want to become as the CEO of that company, as the owner of that company, is tech support. I get it. That's why Apple has been such a big thing. Apple Care has been a big deal. You want to buy something out of the box that works immediately and that comes with good customer support. So when I was looking to jump ship and go back to PCs, because I knew that there was better equipment out there, cheaper prices, more competitive prices, and upgradable systems, uh, I had to hunt. And in my hunt, I found this company, Puget Systems. The reason why I like them is that they're a smaller company. They're family-run. They're family-owned. They're upper West Coast. I think they're in uh, Seattle. Um, and they build computers specifically tailored to what your needs are. So you can easily go to their website and choose your baseline model based on the software that you use. You can go there, you click the software, get pulled down. They'll give you a basic package. And then this is what's so great about them. You can write to them, you can call them, and tell them your story. Tell them what it is that you need, and they will help custom build a system specifically for you for that reason. I love them for this. And talk about customer care, guys. You don't end up on some fucking bot list and you wait for a fucking text with some shit later on. You call them, someone answers the phone, and they talk to you about stuff. Right? Maybe that's just a 40-year-old in me sitting across from Liam. He's like... I'd rather text them on Facebook and then get my text support that way. Send them GIFs. <laughs> Send them some GIFs. So uh, if you are looking to buy a new PC, just check it out. If you're looking to buy a new computer, go look at it. Don't take my word for it. Go check them out. Go through their website. Talk to the guys. I think you're going to fall in love with them. And they will help you build a system that fits your budget. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also, supporting us on this show controversially, after we talked about them in the beginning of the episode, are the amazing guys over at Quasar Science. So now my read changes a little bit because I've always started this bit with how amazing LED technology is and how you can do any color of the rainbow whenever you do the lights. It's an interesting new world right now. And if you're interested in what is going on with the LED market, uh, go watch that video. What's that video again called? Uh Dig it up while I'm going through it. So if you are in the market for some new lights, if you're a cinematographer, if you're a photographer, definitely check out LED technology because regardless of what we heard last night, they, there are still amazing things that you can do with LED lights. Besides the fact that they're lightweight, besides the fact that they don't draw a lot of power, if you buy an LED unit that is specifically white balanced, so if you buy an LED tungsten unit or an LED HMI unit that's white balanced, uh, it looks amazingly close, if not per- almost perfectly close, to a lot of the heavier, larger units that require more space, require more crew, require more power, right? And Quasar makes these amazing tubes. They make uh, bicolor tubes, so they'll make tungsten balanced or daylight balanced tubes. 
Now, they also make rainbow LED units. LED units that can show any color in the spectrum. But before you purchase one of these, you should check out this video. What's the video online? It's called Color Scientist Explains the Problem with RGB Lights by the channel Indie Mogul. So you should definitely check that out. We actually were there live at this event last night, put on by Quasar Science, put on by uh, Aperture. Um, and this is an issue that happens with all LED lights right now in the marketplace. Not just these guys, all manufacturers are having this trouble with some cameras or a lot of cameras can't register, if not most cameras cannot register all the colors on the spectrum. So even though you see those colors coming off that rainbow LED unit in the physical space, your camera doesn't identify those. So just be cautious about it. And what they were telling us last night, which is very interesting, is that you're better off gelling your LED units the same way you would gel your old tungsten units and your old HMI units which is great for companies like Lee Filters and Roscoe because at one point everybody thought that you didn't need gels anymore, but apparently you still do, okay? So not sugarcoating this stuff. And like, look, the first response that I had when I heard this last night was, well, why would I buy these units? You have to remember that even these bicolor units or these rainbow color units, you can program in um, different color changes live. So if you're doing a music video and it doesn't necessarily matter that you get the very specific grade of blue or that you get this very specific grade of uh, yellow or magenta, right? And you just wanna have this colorful sort of display, they're perfect for that. They're amazing units for that sort of stuff. And you can work within the confines of the understanding of what colors they show really well and what colors they don't show really well. So it's still valid. And I wouldn't be telling you this. I still have my rainbow color unit outside and I still have my bicolor units. I'm going to use them both. And I know that I'm going to use that rainbow color unit for reds and blues because they look fucking amazing. They do a good job for that. So just understand that these things were marketed to you as a big old kit of 24, 48 crayons, but it actually is only 12 crayons that work in this kit. But you know that those 12 crayons do some really great things. And that's a really bad analogy, but that's what, that's what I'm saying on this read. <laughs> I'm getting this look. See, this is going to be the new thing. This is good. It's pronounced crayons. Oh my God. Dude, the new rule, new rule. <laughs> You're never allowed to correct how I say things on this show. <laughs> okay. New fucking rule. And, I, and I'm gonna, you can't even look at me. You have to turn and look at the wall. If you're upset about how I'm saying something, you do not look at me. Because I'm like, did I say something wrong about Quasar? It's just fucking crayons. It's crayons, motherfucker. So, so uh, go check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. Really great place. Really good lights. Love those guys. I'm going to try to have Tim, who works there, on the show. So check them out. Um, those are the two big sponsor reads for the show. If you, I, I'm just going to say this right now. I appreciate you guys listening to the show. Uh, and continuing to tune in and continuing to follow us on Instagram. If you go to uh, at in love with the process pod, that's in love with the process pod on Instagram. Right now, it's a private account because I want you to subscribe. So go there, subscribe to get in, and you'll see all sorts of different posts, uh, photos from behind the scenes on the show. It's a great way to see it. Or you can go follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, and that's a place that you can leave comments on the show. If you're listening to the show, and a lot of you have been doing it, I got them. I got your notes. 
tell me you're listening to the show. This has been a weird episode. A lot of ranting and raving. Tell me if it sucked. Tell me, be my algorithm for me. Go on there and say, hey, Mike, we don't like bread. Never have him on the show again. And uh, you can check out my Instagram at <laughs> Brett McCabe. Again, that's U-G-H, B-R-E-T-T-M-C-C-A-B-E. I'm an Instagram influencer. Always open to new sponsors for myself. I love to uh, live, laugh, love. And uh, I'm all about that sponsored content. There you go. All right. That was a really good uh, jumping right in there and throwing your plug in there. That's good. Uh, and then also be sure to go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Here's why to go to that. I know we've checked our analytics and we know that you guys listen to the show on your iPhones. And uh, we've been talking a lot about this. Liam and I are going to try to try to fix a couple things. We know it sometimes is difficult to click the links for the sponsors. It's difficult to click through on stuff while it's on the phone. Apparently, they like to keep it restrictive so that you can't click out of it. Get it? Fine. Whatever. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. You can either go there while you're listening to the show or go there after you're listening to the show. Just go through, check out the sponsors. That's where you'll be able to find all these links. And if you want to support the show, there's a donation button. You can support us by donating like 15 bucks straight up. But I get it. We're all broke. I'm broke. If someone asked me to donate 15 bucks right now, I'd be like, what do I get for it? So there's a bunch of different ways. We're going to come up with some new stuff. As we progress on the show, I think about making. Yep, yeah, maybe we'll do some nudes to save the save the koalas. Maybe we'll do some of those. <laughs> um, but we're also going to um, do some merch. We'll have a bunch of different things so that if you're going to donate, you'll get something for it. In the meantime, and you've heard me say this before on the show, if you haven't done so already, if you haven't listened to another podcast and they begged you to do it, you could support the show by signing up for a free trial at Audible, right? And now I have the paperwork in front of me so I can do this the right way because I always fuck it up. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, sign up for a 30-day free trial. It comes with a free book, right? And then you get access to all their amazing content. And I guarantee you, you're going to go through it and want to read like four or five different books. So you're going you're to stick with it. But if you don't stick with it, it's not a big deal for us. We get paid either way. So at the end of 30 days, you decide that you're done, no big deal. That is the best way to get us cash without reaching into your own pocket. Another way to do it, I'm gonna set this up. If you're a person that doesn't know how to handle your finances, if you're like Brett, and you wanna go out and make a movie, and you dump it all on credit cards, and you're stuck in debt, then don't take my advice. But if you're someone that knows what you're doing with your finances, <laughs> Then you might want to go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, click on our sponsors page, and there you'll find two deals from Capital One. You can either sign up for the Capital One um, Venture Card or the Venture One Card. Now, I have the stuff printed in front of me so I can give you guys the honest <laughs> what's going on, okay? Because every time I do this, I always forget the fucking numbers. So I have it here. I did my homework. So if you sign up for the Capital One Card, right? Right off the bat, there's a $95 annual fee. So at the end of the first year, you got to pay $95 to have this card, but you earn two times miles per dollar for every purchase. And here's why I did it. When you sign up and if you spend $3,000 on purchases within the first three months of the account opening, um, you get 50,000 bonus miles. 
And the way that works, 50,000 equals 500 bucks. So I was able to use $500 off that card towards a plane ticket to come out here and look for my housing for free because we had done that. Now, a lot of you are like, $3,000 is a lot in the first three months. No, it's not. It's only $1,000 a month. And if you're doing this for business reasons, that's like one job. You have to rent a camera. You got to rent some gear. You put it on there. And then your clients pay you back for that. And then you get the fucking $5,000 fucking bonus on the deal. So it's a pretty sweet gig. That's on the venture card. Like I said, that comes with a $95 annual fee because these guys have done the calculations that they're still going to make cash on you. So if you don't want to go that way, go for the Venture One card. No annual fee. Earn uh, 1.25 miles per dollar. So it's one and a quarter per dollar on every purchase that you uh, buy every day. Uh, and if you spend $1,000 on purchases within the first three months, you earn 20,000 bonus miles, which equals $200, which is sweet. And you can do them both. I did them both. So I've done that. I run my cards. Help me build some credit um, and uh, gives me a little bit of peace of mind if I do a gig and I don't want to reach into my rent fund to rent gear, like my house rent fund, my grocery fund. So it's the only reason why I'm suggesting it. Like I said, if you're somebody who uh, can't sleep at night and uh, is uh, rapidly buying shit on Amazon that you don't fucking need, then don't listen to any of this. You shouldn't have those cards. Uh, I'm excited to sign up and uh, find my next film. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it through that because everybody that does it through our links will get some uh, money for the show. So not only will you make a film, but I'll get a little bit of cash for the show and I'll be able to pay off my debts, which is nice. Or you can donate to my Indiegogo Kickstarter. <laughs> do you have one right now? No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Um, so those are the reads from the show. Uh, let's get back into it. back to what I'm talking about here and there's a theme if you guys haven't sniffed it out it's I just think that a lot of us are in this business you spend most of your time unhappy unhappy because you're always aiming for that big goal you're always pushing for I want to be a stand-up comedian I want to be on stage I want to get to the point where I don't have to be on social media anymore I want to uh, get to the point where I'm a storyteller I want to get to a point where I'm teaching people so you're always looking ahead and it's good. It's good to have those big fucking distant goals. But the problem with that is that you're not getting a lot of daily approval or happiness based upon them. You're getting kind of the opposite a lot of the time where it's just like, fuck, what did I do today? I'm, no, I'm not, not a step closer. Or I couldn't write the set today. Or I just got a phone call that that project that I thought was happening isn't fucking happening. And so we are... We're high risk for depression in this industry, very much so. And we now have these, these devices that were constructed, very similar to slot machines. They're constructed in such a way where they are delivering dopamine. They're delivering very basic happiness levels and points of happiness. And now within that examination and within that AI that exists now, they're examining specifically how to target us and hit us with with sales items. And so if you're sitting there going like, I didn't get, I didn't get hired to shoot this project. And, 
uh, you'll read an article of like, if you're any kind of real DP, you need to own this camera. And so then you're just like, got it. I got to go buy this fucking rig. And you're not working. You're not doing anything. And you're not thinking critically of it. You're not sitting there going, okay, so this rig's going to cost me 65,000 fucking dollars to buy. But how many times when I get hired, do they actually rent my camera? And if I do come with my camera, how many times do I get that job? Because I say, I'm going to throw it in for fucking free. And then they hire me for that job because I'm throwing that gear in for free. So then you're looking at this thing, instead of critically looking at this thing in that moment saying, realistically, this thing's going to be outdated in six months or, or a year from now. How many times am I going to get paid for this specific piece of equipment? And is it going to start to make a profit for me? Or am I only buying this right now because I'm depressed? Because I didn't get that fucking gig. And because I'm not looking internally and I'm not looking at like how I interacted with the client I'm not looking at how to make myself better as far as like creative and going back into study and going back into that research. And I'm looking for that quick fucking fix. The same way that like if Gina's feeling like shit, she'll look at puppy videos on Instagram. You know what I mean? It's like the same sort of kick that's happening. And then my, cause I am victim to this too, a hundred fucking percent. And one of the, the hardest things that I beat myself up on is when I fall too deep into this. And time disappears on me. And I was supposed to have written an outline for a new treatment. Or I was supposed to have done this thing. And suddenly I've been sucked into this world of this. And how this is relevant to what is happening with us. I book a lot of guests on this show through Instagram. And that's a big thing that I do. Because you can reach celebrity pretty quick. And now that I've been verified, which is great, people actually pay attention. So I can actually go through and reach out to folks. And so I was up uh, doing one of those, I can't sleep, late night, you bring your fucking phone in, then you fall into a fucking uh, a sleepless week at that point, because you've just got that bad rhythm that's happening. And so I was just sort of scoping out different people to have on the show, and I was talking to a bunch of different uh, musicians, because I was thinking about having a musician episode. And with a format like Instagram, where you're doing such small, textural exchanges there's no connectivity i know right now that i'm sitting here across from Julian and we're having this conversation but you're also wearing this green fucking plaid shirt and you've got that hat on those are registering to me you look great you look good thanks every single person that knows me listening to this knows exactly what fucking hat and, and flannel <laughs> i'm wearing so now. you so you look good anybody that's ever seen you says registering i am seeing the fact that brett has like blonde highlights going on right now you look really great cute. it's really nice thanks so these are things that are registering to me. So if I sit there and go, hey, do you want to come over tomorrow? Those are physical things that are going to register in my mind. And I'm like, I remember I talked to Brett about, you know, what soda he wanted. And I remember that the soda can was pink. So that's all the memory. But when I'm on Instagram, it's like, would you like to be on the show? That sounds great. That's really cool. I like your music. I was talking to like fucking 10 people. <laughs> all at the same time with that same sort of interaction. Would you like to be on the show? Would you like to do this? And this is me working in that system, but also lazily working in that system by going like, I don't need to get out of bed. It's like three in the morning, you know, and I'm just sort of serving my way through this thing. And I bit the bullet hard because of it, because of it, because I was talking to a couple of different groups, including uh, uh, Tangerine Dream. And I was asking a bunch of different keyboardists to be on the show. And in my late night, 
not really paying attention, not really having a real conversation thing, I thought I had booked a keyboardist from Tangerine Dream for the show. Yet it was another keyboardist <laughs> for another band with the word dream in it. <laughs> and this is essentially like me talking to women online where I'm just like, oh yeah, you're the one who likes that movie, right? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, that was the other one, I guess. <laughs> Oh, you got a similar name. <laughs> it's it's the same fucking thing. And it's because on its surface value, that form of exchange is so um, is so hollow. It's so emotionless and you're literally only using like whatever it is, 5% of your senses in a normal conversation in that exchange. And you're and you're self-gratifying yourself where it's just like, holy shit, I'm talking to these people. I'm cool shit because they're coming back to me and they're, I'm having this conversation. So I'm spending a lot of my time just giving myself fucking cred while I'm having this conversation. Like, look at all these dudes I'm talking to. This is really great. I'm not keeping track of who the fuck it is that I'm talking to in this scenario. Now, I'm being completely open here on this show, guys. <laughs> and I'm telling you about how this stuff happened because at home, if you're judging me right now, you also know that you do the same fucking thing. You may do the same thing, Brett, when you're out there dropping your Japanese fishing nets to find a hot chick to take home. Hopefully you, Japanese. You, <laughs> Liam, I don't know you well enough, but I'm going to say that you've done this before. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, so you've done this before. Yeah. Uh, and you listening at home do the same thing. We get caught into this. You up those text messages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you get caught in this, like, lamaze, like this lethargic exchange and isn't it wouldn't it be weird if in order for me to contact my clients i had to go into a casino in vegas and pull the handle on a fucking slot machine and that's how i was contacting my clients it's the same fucking thing i mean thing. that's essentially how you booked that guest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to be on the show this is a 3 a.m you up want to be on a podcast text <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm a little drunk <laughs> and uh, you sound good. <laughs> All right. So we're going to come back to that um, because I want to change. I want to change the topic just a little bit and stay within the same range here. Um, the other thing that kind of drives me crazy about our social media stuff right now, and I, I don't know how many of you at home or how many of you guys here feel the same way. I get emotionally charged up over shit that really doesn't fucking affect me. That's how that clickbait gets you. It mm -hmm. wants you to get angry. It wants you to look at the ads and that article with the headline that pissed you off. Right. And then I, I walk around with a lot of anxiety because of that. Whenever I'm like deep in it, I walk around with a lot of anxiety. You're twitching over there, Liam. What's going on with you? There are three white dudes sitting in a room in oh. Los Angeles talking about being upset about things that don't affect them. I'm not just talking about uh, gender and I'm not talking about racial stuff. I'm talking about anything. I'm talking about if there's a clickbait article that I agree on where it's like they're taking away jobs from grocery store clerks and they're making everything fucking automated. And here's That's why we got to build that wall. Here's an example. Keep the robots out. Keep the robots out. Well, here's, here's an example, right? Because a lot of the people that know me know that I get on the show and I, they know that I get into these conversations. Here's a text that I got from Dan, uh, who's another director, and he sends me this thing. And this is all I read on it. Warner Brothers will use 
AI to help make decisions on movie releases. Yeah, saw that. Right? So I get this text, which has like a little picture of the Warner Brothers water tower, and it says that underneath it. Now, this comes in in this medium in which you just quickly look at things. And oftentimes, you don't really have time to respond to things, let alone click on this fucking thing. So just reading this, this fucking clickbait. Yeah, I already have opinions on it. And I saw the headline, haven't read the article. <laughs> okay, so what are your opinions on it? Let's, let's start here. Uh, I'm waiting for a tweet to load right now because... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have your Wi-Fi. <laughs> I've been here many times. <laughs> uh, uh, holds for sound. That's literally, funny. the I want to point out. Guy. I yep. want to point out the Wi-Fi password was the second thing I asked for uh, since I got here, which shows the difference in priorities yeah, in our exactly, generations. Exactly. Oh, exactly. oh, I asked, and Mike didn't know it. <laughs> 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 so I said, "Fuck it." <laughs> uh, I I just wanted to read this. This tweet is, again, it's reactionary, and I haven't read the article, <laughs> even though I will bemoan people who don't read articles and just respond. But I, I enjoyed this tweet by uh, Zach Stentz on Twitter. Uh, so he was responding to the Warner Brothers assigned a deal for AI-driven film management system, which will help decision-making for green lighting certain films. And Zach Stentz said, the entire... Marvel Cinematic Universe was built on Favreau convincing a bunch of executives that a middle-aged actor, not long out of rehab in prison, who had described himself as box office poison, even during his earlier 1990s heyday, would be the perfect Iron Man. Mm -hmm. It's smart. I mean, that's totally true. It's, that's totally summing up that. But did you actually read what it's about? Because that nope. was... That, <laughs> okay, so... Here, I'm guilty of this... We're as all fucking guilty of this. And over the past year, I feel like we're, as a populace, we're even more guilty of this fucking thing. And somehow it's like a fire that seems to be getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And you, we're at a point now where it's like the draft is happening again. And you're just like, we're so reactionary. Space Force. Because you guys are exchanging gifts as a form of communication. And these things are designed to look like gifts. He said gifs. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We're going to disagree. I say gifs too. We're well. going to agree to disagree on that oh, one. Oh, man. <laughs> I've, been, I've been threatened with an F in a class because I, I didn't let this go. I can't even pronounce the other one. So, like, <laughs> it's not hard. So, so, JPEG? JPEG. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it looks like a animated thumbnail, right? Other than the fact that it's not moving. So yeah, Animaniacs are going to pop This out shows up on my text the same way that Cruder would send me a picture of like Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber going, eh, and then that's a laugh. So I'm having that same emotional response, the same emotional response that you're trying to induce with an animated GIF. Thank you. Um, they're doing with these ads and with these clickbait ads. And it's a bigger conversation, and I've been dying to have people that are writers on the show because I've... This is down a rabbit hole. I was asked to write for F-Stoppers, and F-Stoppers actually sent me their rate page. So how much you get paid to write articles. And the thing that was fascinating is they pay you based upon how many clicks you have. And they pay bullshit on that. It was like you had to get... Uh, my number's going to be really fucked up. It was like 150,000 views to get $150. It was some shit like that. 
And so in the writing industry right now, we're losing a lot of really good journalists. We're losing a lot of really good writers because they physically can't fucking feed themselves. And so if you're desperate, like we are desperate in the industry, you're like, I need to get fucking paid today. So I need to do clickbait 100%. Star Wars uh, is, is uh, the women are changing Star Wars. Knowing that all the fucking <laughs> young kids, dudes that are already feeling that way are just going to go click, 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 click. And it's got nothing to fucking do with that. And this is the same thing because my first response when I read this, I just lost my shit. Being somebody who's pitching right now, being someone that goes into rooms and they have a hundred fucking reasons why to say no to me today. And I'm not really going to talk about it on the show, but I actually got a list, industry list of for, for 2020 of what every major studio and what every major network is looking for and what their lineup is. And everything listed on that is based upon hot shit that's happening on the internet. At nowhere on their list for any of them, Amazon, Netflix, any of them, on their list that they say, by the way, keep your eye out for an amazing storyteller. Find someone that tells a story that registers with you. Go for that. Nowhere did they say that shit. And so when I saw this, I went, motherfucker. So I'm going to have you decide whether or not my movie's good based upon AI, based upon an algorithm, Right? And so then I get really upset with it and I go, similar to what your tweet is. As a filmmaker and as a good storyteller, and I've talked about this on shows, I don't believe in geniuses. I don't believe in people that like come flopping out of their mother and they're like, as soon as I can make these hands work, I'm going to make 2001. Like it's not in there. And I think that as a filmmaker or as a director, it's reactionary. You're essentially in that situation going, I think I have a good idea. I have a decent amount of people that are very talented around me. We'll figure it out. And if you're a financer, that is scary as fuck because you don't know. There are so many different variables involved. And the fact that these movies cost so much fucking money and the fact that they want such a huge fucking return from it so we have to broaden our fucking scope for these things, it makes it incredibly difficult to get an original idea made, to get something that is interesting made. It's incredibly fucking difficult to do so. As someone who's becoming more and more anti-capitalist over time, I refuse to even click on these clickbait <laughs> headlines, but it is still funny that we are all discussing this article that none of us have read. <laughs> I did. Okay, you did. Yes. Okay. okay. I good. did because I had to prep for the show. Good. So I did. All right. <laughs> so I'm just explaining how I felt when I read this. And I'm assuming that those of you at home that hear this, this is what you're thinking. Why are we letting an algorithm decide an accidental mistake? Any of these great movies, that bit that he talks about with Iron Man, that is 100% fucking true. Robert Downey Jr. was fucking poison. Poison. And he was so perfectly cast, and I'm convinced that he was perfectly cast because he had that history. Yeah. Because Tony Stark was an alcoholic in the books. And that worked perfectly. And he's charming, he made that character that I found boring to now be interesting. Yeah. I did not like it was the genius. character of Tony Stark before. It was a risky idea, but you know that when Favreau had that idea, you, he got the shakes because he felt it. And he was just like, 
this could fucking work. And it's going to be, I don't know how we're, it's ever going to fucking happen. I don't know how I'm going to convince the studio of this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And if you walk into a room and you're like, I need all this money to do this. The only thing that helped him was that Marvel really wasn't anything at that point. Marvel was trying really fucking hard. You had like the Ghost Rider movies. Which that was a Marvel Studios. I think no, that was that, Sony. But that's, Marvel was still involved. Okay, so the Marvel had only done what? The Hulk? They had only done Hulk. I think. The Hulk. No, well, I thought it was Marvel was bought and became Marvel Studios after Iron Man. Uh, I don't know. No, I believe they did a Hulk movie and that was their yeah, first, that was their first Marvel Studios yeah, movie. That was with Edward Norton. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. But uh, Fahey was involved in all those other Marvel movies. So he was yeah. involved with Ghost Rider. He was involved oh. with Elektra. He was involved really? with all those. He says that he's been in the business for 20 years. It's only been 10 years at Marvel Studios. The prior 10 years to that, he was Marvel's like producer that they would put on these movies. So he has had that experience that makes him really great for this because he's seen all the fucking failure that have come from all these other films. So it helped Favreau at that point that they really weren't making billions yet. Like it, that franchise wasn't making that return and it was sort of like, you know, oh, do you disagree? I mean, it also probably helped that I think Favreau had just made Elf, oh, which is sure. now like a Christmas legend. But that was the only reason why he got, he made Elf and he made <laughs> Zahora or whatever it was, um, which was another kid's once terrible fucking movie, Zathora. <laughs> um, and then he, what was the other big, uh, I thought he had done another big VFX one. But it's obvious that those things got him in the room, that he was able to actually say, hey, I can physically do this metal stuff. I think Zathora actually had a lot of like steampunky robot stuff, which I'm sure helped him in his pitch for Iron Man. I'm talking out of my fucking ass, but if I had to sort of guess. No, but executives have no imagination. So if they all. saw that you did something with people in suit and iron suits. They're like, okay, you can do our iron suit movie. And the thing that drives me crazy uh, about my initial response to this AI thing is that that comment is that executives have no imagination. I think generally that's the right comment. I've met executives that do have imagination that do love that stuff, but they then have to deal with sales reps. They then have to deal with distributors who have zero fucking imagination. And I think the it always comes down for filmmaking down to the the combination of art and commerce. And there is a blend there that works well because you need restrictions as a filmmaker. I believe that you do 100%. You do need to have those boundaries set in place and that could be budget, that could be outlet, that could be any of those things. But we're living in a time period because of algorithms right now where the business is weighing in more than the creatives are weighing in right now, which is interesting. Um, so anyway... I did read this thing. So I did go in, read this stuff, get past that clickbait thing where it's like, well, okay, so Skynet is going to be deciding whether or not my movie can happen. Yeah. We're just getting closer and closer to the robots taking over. Not only are they checking on our groceries, they're telling us, they're giving us the green light if we can make our dream movie or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just like, what the fuck? Because I'm unhappy with all the other AI shit that's happening. I'm unhappy with the fact that there's going to be automated cars. I'm unhappy with all those things. So why, being someone that's going to tell a story, I now have to confront this. Um, and so then I actually went through and I read about it. And this is company, I'm going to fucking mispronounce it. It's Cine, Cinelytic. So it's C-I-N-E-L-Y-T-I-C. Cinelytic? Cinelytic. You know this company? Lactose-free cinema? <coughs> 
I'm taking that it's a pun on cinema and analytic. analytic. Thank you for doing that, because I'm a fucking moron. Um, <clears throat> so, Synalytic is his company. So I, I went, already hate this company, right? <laughs> by that description. <laughs> Analytics, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no movie that's ever made me cry has gone heavily through analytics. analytics. Okay. So then I was like, okay, so who's this company? So let's do this. This is a video of, of the CEO of the company being interviewed. And I don't know if it's a legit interview. It feels like it's a staged interview. Okay. It probably is a legit interview. I can't really say that, but that was my, that was, that was my feeling. Let's see. Stand by. Yeah. Top-notch studio. Stand by. Stand by. Stand by. <laughs> I have to reload it because I wasn't doing this on my phone initially. Stand by, everybody, maybe, as I reload this. Maybe we'll mix this in later. Yeah. Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> How about this weather, huh? <laughs> Fuck off. All right. <laughs> God damn it. I just lost it. Here we go. AI goes to Hollywood. And play. Okay, let's dive in. So what is Synalytic and how is it using AI to finance the movie industry? So Synalytic is a film business platform. Mm -hmm. And when we started, we, our, you know, our aim was really to bring the best practices from science, technology, finance, and entertainment industry together to build a platform that is sort of a one-stop shop where you can get all the data that you need. We aggregate a lot of different data sources, so box office, home video, TV data. Mm -hmm. And we apply analytics to help to present the findings in a nice user interface and a sort of project management system that our you know, customers, which are studios and um, large independent companies, can, can use to model out film performance, mm -hmm. um, you know, understand talent better on talent analytics, so really help people operate faster and smarter. Right, so this is... Okay, so in a period <laughs> of operate faster and smarter. smarter. So in a period of time where we're so used to seeing stuff on our phone, we're so used to like these really quick and easy interfaces. This, of course, is a very appetizing thing for anybody that works in a studio system and a finance department. A, you don't have to do as much work doing the research. We'll we'll put together all that research. We've designed an AI that goes through. I assume goes through IMDb, goes through sort of popularity things. All that sounds, stuff sounds interesting, right? So if you're an exec, you're like, well, I just have to pay a fucking fee for this thing and this will do all that stuff for me, right? Because we do that now anyways with fucking apps and shit that we use. It's like, oh, cool, this app will fucking tell me when I need to work out and when I need to stop eating food so I don't become a fucking fat ass. Great, cool, like five bucks a month, I'll do that, right? Same kind of shit. Let's continue here. Cool to get films made Correct. or maybe not made, depending on Correct. what the data shows. So you were previously an investor and also a producer. So what gap did you see in the market? Did you just see people having these ideas but didn't have, you know, the support to show people they would do well? I think the concept of analytics obviously exists for a while. I think generally um, data is more and more digital as, you know, everything, you know, goes into a digital way of of being shown in cinemas as well as on Netflix and, and, and VOD transactions. So there's more data around. And I think the need that I saw when I came in the industry with my background, so I used to be in finance for 10 years, I was an investor and then a creative producer. And I saw film as such a fantastic product, but it's also a very expensive product. Mm -hmm. And really the kind of decision making early on is not, you know, there, there, I saw there can be, there's so much data out there which is not used. Right. And so I saw there's a need A to bring more data into that process to make these decisions, not just based on gut, but also mix your gut feel, a creative instinct with something 
like data that helps mm-hmm. you create a better business case for your film. But isn't it with... I've always said there's data out there that's just not being used. <laughs> and we, you know, we got to reach out and grab it. And, and, you know, if we look for that data, then we can compile data that will make that data more accessible for us. And then I can take all that data and make that data into something that is profitable based upon that data. I don't know what you just said, but you're hired. <laughs> it feels that way, right? <laughs> it totally does. All right, let's continue. You know, Netflix is one of these streaming platforms. They don't release specific numbers. So how does that factor into the data? Correct. So we have sort of everything but Netflix numbers at this point. So box office, home video, TV numbers, mm-hmm. social media data. One source that um, we are looking at, is, for example, is piracy data, illegal P2P downloads. Interesting. Which has correlations to streaming services. So there are... Interesting. I'll admit that actually does sound interesting. Because <laughs> I know that the movie industry or just the entertainment industry in general tries to track uh, piracy because it will still tell them, do people give a shit about this movie? (laughs) Oh, well, millions of people have illegally downloaded it, so they wanted to watch it. But then how does that work? Are they interested enough to see it, but not interested enough to buy it? I mean, they'll still still send those cease and desist. (laughs) Of course. I I got one when I uh, torrented World War Z. (laughs) Which I did not want to watch, but my screenwriting class <laughs> insisted that we watch. <laughs> so, so you got in trouble doing your homework, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. To kind of, there's some secret sauce that we can help our. <laughs> some secret sauce, I love that. That we can help our, our users uh, get, get more insights into that field. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it's really about like providing. Isn't it cool how they use terms like secret sauce to make it very layman's turn for you? It's fun. Yeah, and then it also brings it down to like the basic thing. I get it. Secret sauce. I've had cheeseburgers with secret sauce on it before. (laughs) I like secret sauce. I like that. I know what that is. (laughs) Okay, stand by. Giving real-time information into the user's hands. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we try to provide with our service or what we provide with our service is that um, you know, you don't need to be a data genius. So one of my co-founders is a rocket scientist from NASA. He worked 20 years for risk, building risk assessment systems for launch vehicles. And our system is very easy. You log in and you can run, you know, talent analytics or, you know, forecast film performance. And you don't have to be mm-hmm. a rocket scientist. It's a nice user interface. I want to talk transparency. Forecast film performance. That's the big thing here, right? Because ultimately what they're trying to do if you guys know anything about what an executive's job is like and what an executive's work uh, lifespan is like, it is incredibly volatile. Like most executives only last for about four years in their job position. And they're almost always fucking fired. Almost always fired. Unless they're doing some amazing shit like Marvel or doing like they figured out a system that works for that. But most executives are in that position. And so they're trying to make a decision, usually, from what I understand, they're trying to make a decision in their first year of the projects that are going to define them at this company. So this software makes a lot of fucking sense at that point, correct? Yes. I'm just so confused. Like, is a robot going to be able to watch a movie and go, Guys, I don't think we should spend too much on marketing for this. See, but what you're doing is you're still going back to that Skynet fucking reactionary thing that we did before. Let's continue listening. As soon as I sign in my phone. <laughs> it's right, here we go. Here we go. A little bit with you. So how important is transparency when it comes 
to the entertainment industry and AI, and why is it so important? I think, I mean, transparency is generally important because transparency mm -hmm. generally leads to inequalities, right? Somebody has some information, most people don't have information, so it's never a healthy state. Mm -hmm. And especially in the film industry, I think, and that's what I realized when I came in the industry, it's a, it's a bit of an insider-driven industry. You know, there are a few people that have information, and then a lot of people don't have the information. That leads to imbalances, you know, because mm -hmm. some people can use their position. And I think... Okay. So this statement here is what opened my eyes to what this ex exactly is. So what's happening right now in our industry is Netflix is not only a content-making place, but they're also a delivery system. And they've set up their system in such a way where they actually research and they run algorithms based upon what you click on, what you look at, how much time you spend on that thing. And they're keeping that within their own locked doors. And that's what they're doing. And so you have the rest of the film industry that doesn't have access to that. And so this company has stepped in and said, we're going to provide you with similar analytics to what they have at Netflix so that you could be as successful as Netflix is. So the rest of the film industry is going to give everybody a stand-up comedy special. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Okay, so hold on. We're almost done with this. Transparency in that sense creates a much more even a sustainable industry. Mm -hmm. One thing that transparency is, gains is a, a better understanding also what the real state of the industry is. Like, is it a profitable industry? Is it, you know, are things going in the right direction? Right. You know, you know how, you know, an understanding sort of the change happening from streaming. Well, and speaking of all that, yeah. will something like this help studios really compete with newcomers like? you know, Netflix and Amazon when it comes to making studio movies. It's definitely our belief because um, if you look at Netflix, they're being able to green out 800 shows and 80 films a year, and studios not, you know, doing maybe typically 30, 40 films a year. I think data can really help to speed up that process of mm -hmm. vetting projects, of really looking at the creative. Okay. So does this mean that we're going to have more Thundercats fucking cartoons? You know what I mean? And, and so then this comes down to the question that I've been bringing up with this social media stuff, because I feel like Netflix in a weird way is almost like a social media app in a weird way where they are running all these analytics. They are running all this stuff. They're looking at what we're looking at, what we're interested in and what's happening. And so you get a lot of, you get a lot of, sh you get a lot of crap on Netflix. You get gems on Netflix because it is outside the system and you get like this really great gem stuff. But they're not necessarily, even though I saw an interview with the exec or the head of Netflix and he was like, we're about quality. Sometimes I just don't buy that. Sometimes I feel like they're more about quantity and they're more about satisfying that click. It's almost like clickbait series to a certain extent. Because then you end up with like Castlevania animated series. You end up with the Voltron animated series. You end up with all these things that are nostalgic. And I would click on it and be like, oh, weird. I haven't seen Voltron in a long time. Bam, hit this thing. But they're not giving me anything new. And, it's, and then the formula within those shows are sort of fitting that similar formula. So you can literally sit through a whole series of like Voltron and be like, I, I just ate hollow popcorn for this whole fucking thing. Like, there's nothing to this. And I think a lot of the stuff that you see on Netflix, and there's a great deal of really good stuff, so I'm not naysaying Netflix. I'm just saying that this algorithm system seems to produce lethargically satisfying 
cheap cheeseburgers. And there's a lot of that that's happening. And for you to be a filmmaker that walks in and says, look, I've got this really crazy fucking idea that no one has been thinking about. No one is into this. No one is talking about this right now. So it's not going to show up on your algorithms. It's not going to show up on that stuff. But if I make this thing, I have a feeling that people are going to be really interested in it and really curious by it. And it may end up being one of those things that then registers on all these algorithms. That conversation is what a, a lot of filmmakers want to have because a lot of filmmakers are always thinking out of the box. And you're always thinking from the outside in. You're, always, you're stepping back and examining what's happening in life in front of you. You're not necessarily getting lost and drowned in what you're feeling in the moment. And so trying to tell those stories in this sort of analytical system, for me as a storyteller, it just seems like really threatening. It seems really depressing, honestly. And do you, how do you guys feel about this? The way he's trying to pitch it, it sounds like he's trying to predict this is going to be the golden age of green lighting. We're going to have, have all these films and it's going to be wonderful. We're all going to make millions. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's hard for me to have like a strong opinion on it. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm the dumbest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 okay. So I think I bring this stuff up because A, I wanted to address how we all reacted to this first headline and how we all thought it was fucking, uh, you know, Skynet coming in and deciding on what movies are going. But when in the reality of the situation, they put AI on it as like this clickbait name. But essentially what it's doing is it's taking all the same analytics that we wholeheartedly signed away from our Facebook fucking uh, polls and we wholeheartedly sign away when we are on Instagram. And so they're literally looking through and they're going, this guy likes this and this and this and this and this. He's this age. He comes from this background. He has this many friends. Bum, 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 bum. So all those analytics sort of go in there and they go, okay, good. If we want to hit this demo, we want to hit this demo, we want to hit this demo. Let's look at the analytics on how movies have done and what actors have been successful in movies. And let's do analytics on uh, how many... V- page hits or how many views for what did those actors have when they were doing the promo tour like this actor may not be a great fucking actor but he was on jimmy fallon and he ate fucking duck eggs and that thing got you know 36 million fucking views and so now he's a face that everybody knows in the home it's not necessarily because he's a great fucking actor it's because of the analytics based upon the views that happened on that thing and so from a Business perspective, if you're looking to make fast and easy cash, this is all worth something. If you're looking to tap into what you're emotionally feeling right now in this moment and you want to hit that, fucking great knowledge for that. But the thing that's so interesting about these movies that everybody's nostalgic about is that they were tapping in at that time period into something that we didn't know we wanted. We didn't know that we wanted the thing. The thing fucking failed. Everybody hated the thing. And that movie came out the same weekend as fucking E.T. And everybody was like, Reese's Pieces, Elliot, E.T., cute little alien from fucking space. And that same time period, you got this movie with fucking Kurt Russell and the movie ends with him and uh, what's his name sitting across from each other. Which one is the thing? What are we going to do next? I don't know. Let's just sit here and wait. Movie ends. (laughs) Beloved film. (laughs) Beloved film now. Like if I do a poll, the thing through the fucking roof. Everybody loves the thing and and with time and distance with it. So, and then 
now pitches are running that. You go into a room and goes, it's me, it's the thing meets this. It's this meets this. It's uh, uh, you know, uh, taxi driver meets fucking kings of comedy equals the fucking Joker. You know what I mean? And these movies have influenced us and influenced storytellers to the point where if we had those analytics at that time period, what was big at that time period? Prior to the 70s revolution, it was like cowboy movies. It was giant Cleopatra epics. It was all this stuff. So if they were running the analytics for that, that's what they would have been continuing to make. Well, what if we took a cowboy and put it in the past with Cleopatra? Fuck. And everybody would have been like juiced over that. But that's what we're doing currently. We're not allowing for these new things. And this isn't straight across the board. You've got companies like A24. You've got companies like SpectraVision. You've got companies that are doing these indie things that are buying into those indie things. Still basing it on algorithms, though. A24 is one of the smartest social media advertising studios out there right now. They know how to build a trailer to get, to get me excited. They really do. But I don't know. I'm on a tangent. You guys haven't been talking that much. So I apologize. But what, do you have anything that's <laughs> I work in audio. I just listen. <laughs> do you that, have sounds anything great, Mike. It sounds great. <laughs> you just ruined your career. Thanks. Well, does that article talk about the uh, the script analytics at all? I don't think it gets into script. All mm-hmm. right, because Synalytic was one of the companies that was brought up in one of my classes. Um, specifically, I was in a I was in a group that went over this AI um, analysis of the industry and figuring that out. And they they compared what Synalytic is doing to what another company is doing using just script and seeing just from the script is it going to uh or screenplay whatever you know i'm an idiot uh it doesn't fucking matter it's fine uh literally the same thing yeah cool (laughs) words from words right Uh Uh it was saying whether or not it would succeed and they had like a it was funny because in the article it said like 70 percent chance that it would succeed if it included the word tree Somewhere in the script. So the reality is like, yeah, everybody's freaking out saying the the sky is falling when this shit comes out and that, you know, oh my God, we're going to just do analytics and it's only going to be data driven and this is it. This is the end. You know, like Skynet's coming. But no, because shit hasn't even gotten anywhere near effective enough. It doesn't have the track record. AI doesn't have the track record yet to prove that it knows anything. Uh, Well, I might jump in there, buddy. There's one bit of AI that has a track record right now. What is it? It's fucking Netflix. Netflix. But Netflix isn't sharing it with anyone. No, but they're using it. They are using it, but but there's no way to know if what they're producing comes from an accurate reading. They are using it, absolutely. Sure, sure. But we don't know. We're just on the outside saying, absolutely, Netflix is doing it and it's working. I'm not saying that it isn't working, but I, but nowhere is it saying the only way we know it's working is because they're saying it's working. Well, and that everybody, everybody is subscribing to Netflix and they're all watching the shit. But is it, is it because they're just getting lucky at the fact you're right? Is it, is it quantity or over quality? They're Mm -hmm. saying it's quality and they're saying that the quality is coming from all this analytics, but they're not sharing that. Right. It's true. It's true. So the the question is, you know, are we, are we going to believe them or are we going to believe that, you know, maybe they're just throwing enough shit at the wall to see what sticks? And the reality is that, you know, uh, uh, what's the thing in San Francisco with Bob Saget? 
Oh, Fuller uh, House. Fuller, Fuller House. Yes. So, so Fuller House, like, of course, that's gonna that has a built-in audience. We knew that that would succeed if it comes back because it already has the built-in audience. Yeah, but they knew that based upon all of the all of the research that they bought from Facebook. So they know that from all the research they bought from Facebook because I don't know if you remember a few years ago, my sisters used to do it. Drive me fucking crazy. They'd send you a poll and they'd go, what's your favorite 80 show? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? What's your favorite this? And you'd fill these fucking polls out. And there was a period of time where it was the hip thing to do. Oh my God, you should do some fucking polls. And I'm sitting there pulling my hair out going, you are literally doing, you know when you go to the mall and someone's like, hey, how would you like $10? And they walk up with a fucking clipboard and they go, answer a couple questions and try out these fucking Fritos and then we'll give you $10. That's literally what Facebook was. Literally it was a data survey machine. Under the guise of the fact that like you can hang out with your friends and you can keep in touch with your pals. You can do all that shit. That's how they made gazillions is through data mining. And so you know for a fucking fact that Netflix just went on there and went, hey, let's look at all those movie polls that you guys ran. And they went, hey, there's a huge fucking population that liked Full House. We got some money. Why don't we bring back the cast of fucking Full House? That's how they did House of Cards. House of Cards was a polling based upon people liked, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Government movies. There's a better term for that. Uh, they liked movies about uh, drama. Like, like um, political dramas. Political dramas. West Thank you. Wing. And they liked David Fincher. Those were two big hits. And so when that happened, fucking gold. But I mean, like Full House, or not Full House, uh, House of Cards, that whole story is that, you know, Different they were- house. Yeah, different house. Yeah, so many houses. Uh, they were they were shopping that around, and they wanted to do a full season um, without signing on for just a pilot. Mm-hmm. And so the only uh, the only distribution company that signed on for that was Netflix. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the reason I, they did that is because based of the, upon the analytics, based upon the fucking analytics, man. Because you're going around to other studios that are that at that time are still living in their old way of doing things. They're still living in the whole like how the fuck is this going to be anything? I'm not going to finance a fucking series. Like what other, what other network would have financed a series that's going to be shot that dark that's going to be that way? Like how would you green light that? Like what are you going to go to fucking, maybe HBO, maybe HBO, but HBO has always been like, we're cultural, you know, and they're, they have their own thing that they deal with. So Netflix was smart by doing it because they were just like, we have to find a way into this workspace we have to find this way into this industry we'll do some edgy shit it's no fucking mistake that stranger things was made on netflix it is no mistake that stranger things was so successful on netflix and the thing that's really great about it is that the duffer brothers walked in at the right place at the right fucking time they had that idea and they walked into netflix and netflix went let's run the analytics on it cool actually yeah a lot of people want to come back a lot of people want that spielberg fucking vibe back a lot of people want that shit back let's greenlight it and you don't realize this until you understand, and I can't, I, I'm so tempted to do so, and I cannot do so. But until you understand the lists that go around for what studios are looking for. And when you actually look at that list and how that list is manufactured, and you look at the restrictions on that list where no matter what, if it comes in the door, it needs to have this, 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 and this doesn't matter how good it is. If it doesn't have these things, it's not going to get greenlit. Unless it's a big name director that already has a reputation. 
or comes with an actor that people give a fuck about. And you use the word trees a lot. And trees. That's what it is. That's the big point. And trees. Um, So I've seen this list. I'll show you guys this list offline. I'm not going to talk about it online because I want to make sure I have a career. But if you're someone that is... give out the secrets. If you're someone that is working to be in this industry, this is the truth of it. This is stuff that as a young filmmaker, when you struggle so hard and you learn to have a voice and you learn how to use that camera and you learn how to do all this stuff, at the end of the day... You are going to come face plant straight into lists like this. And now what's even worse is analytics. And so if you have an outside idea, if you have a creative idea, if you have something that's really interesting, unless you can figure out a way to make yourself worth something and brand yourself to be worth something, or you can figure out a way to partner up with someone that has a big enough brand so that it will show up on the analytics in one way or another, you're going to hit a fucking wall. And the thing that's so interesting about having a list that goes out into the industry, and this list went out to agents and management. So having a list like this that goes out in the industry, all the creatives who are broken out of work and want to work right now will then be changing their storytelling things to try to fit these analytics. And so then are we telling anything new? Or are we just fucking... TikTok the movie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) So this is, the, this is the, the bigger question. And I don't have the fucking answers to this. And who knows? I may be that guy screaming that the world's going to fucking fall and it doesn't fucking fall. But being someone that's in the industry right now, being someone that's writing in the industry right now, this is why that clickbait works so well with me. This is why that <laughs> clickbait works so well with anybody. And that's why they, my buddy sent it to me. Because he knew that I'd be like, motherfucker, because I'm (laughs) going through that right now. And as a viewer, I will scroll through stuff on the television going, why does this all feel the fucking same? Where is the the cool shit? Where is the the edgy shit? And every once in a while, because I kind of click on that algorithm somewhere, they're like, let's do some edgy shit. But a majority of it is like, Two British women in a tent. Let's learn how to cook together or like cook off fucking. And it's all the same shit. And it's like fast. I'm tired of those two old British women in tents cooking. I'm tired <laughs> what is of the it. name of that cooking show? I've doing never tents? heard of this. Yeah. There is a, <laughs> You're pulling that out of your there ass. Is, there is a baking show. <laughs> it's, is it the Great British Bake Off? I, is that what it is? I, I have no idea. I've I never is. seen old British women in a tent. Oh, cooking. it's like there was an old British lady that was hosting it. And there was a bunch of people and they all had to bake off together. And the thing was that uh, they were a bit more friendly than the American versions where, you know, didn't feel like they had a gun to their family's head backstage, like, get this done. And everybody was like, well, you know, she was nice, and, but she still got voted off. It's all the fucking same. My point well, is, it's all yes. the fucking same. Everything is two old British women in two old bitches I'm tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to have you guys on the show. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's my rant on that. Um, but to bring it back to what we were talking about is that there is something so beautiful about mistakes. And there is something so beautiful about accidentally finding something. And in our business, that's what happens. We find something that's great and we didn't realize that it was going to be great. I never could have predicted that it would be interesting and a good experience. And so my bullshit that I went through on Instagram being a mindless fucking moron late at night thinking that I booked someone from another show, called up Brett and I said, hey, we're going to go backstage for Dream Theater. 
What was your response on that? I was like, sure. <laughs> uh, let me look up his IMDb credits <laughs> to see how this is relevant. And he had worked on one episode of a TV show in like 1996 <laughs> and then scored a, an indie film that looked like if Neil Breen had one eighth of the budget and then just spun a wheel as to how he might score it. <laughs> like so overdramatic to the point I was watching the trailer and it just, you know how like reality television, they always put super dramatic music over the most mundane shit. Uh-huh. And it's just, I'm just wondering, like, when is reality television going to step up to, like, the modern day, like, action trailer? Like, is it going to be like, uh, well, uh, Annie didn't want to go to dance class today. <laughs> she says that she has a tummy ache. <laughs> I'm already going off on a tangent. I've been talking for three seconds. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I didn't know the relevance of it and until you told me that this was your own error. That <laughs> you mixed up the two dream bands together. You were talking to two different keyboardists, and this is like a classic sitcom situation. <laughs> totally you gotta is. be in two places two places at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And you're like, I'm going. Yeah, I'll go yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh and so I wasn't sure if this was you're being stubborn because you didn't want to back out and, <laughs> and admit that you made it a fuck up. But we we went into it anyway. Uh, and, what, and we had a very short interview, much shorter than we would have liked. He gave us 30 minutes, which is a lot for any musician. So I, I get it. But yeah, it was much shorter. I thought I was going to have like an hour with him. Yeah, And it was funny talking to him about his he's got like a side hustle where he just makes these like random musical tracks that anybody can just grab and put in their movies or whatever and he has no emotional connection to whatever those filmmakers are are working on knowing that (laughs) you hate that idea (laughs) come on on. it's not no it's not that bad (laughs) uh yeah um well hold on let me expand on a bit so you say yes. We're going to go to this thing. We're going to interview the guy from Dream Theater. I've heard the only the only way, reason I knew Dream Theater is because I used to work in a music store as a kid. So I used to sell these albums to kids, and they had cool album covers. And I was like, "Who the fuck is this?" And I think I listened to a track once, and I was like, "This is way too metal nerdy for me. Like it just got way too nerdy." Um, so I I honestly, and I'm 100 transparent. I didn't know shit about Dream Theater, and. We go to this thing and we sort of committed to it, which was great. And remember, we walk, we walk backstage. They, they get us backstage. And we're walking down the hallway and there's like this long-haired dude that comes out. And I was just like, what's up, buddy? And just walk right by him. I think it was the singer. Yeah, it was the singer. <laughs> it was the singer. And he must have been like, what the fuck? How come there are like two guys with podcast gear going to interview the fucking keyboardist yeah. <laughs> for, for this ba- for dream theater? I'm the front man. I'm the front man, dude. You know, uh, I remember we went there and we thought we were going to be a little funny about it. And we ended up having to sit outside his room for a bit because he was on a phone call with someone from his family. It was a pretty intense phone call. 
and that person in his family was going through some stuff medically. I don't want to get into it, but uh, we heard it through the door, and I remember just being like, oh, God. Like, A, this For the is- record, we were not eavesdropping. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we, weren't, we didn't have our ear against the door. <laughs> no. We were sitting on a bench across the hallway, <laughs> and there was some chatter. So, so, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, dude, we have to, I can't be, we have to be 100% legit about this. This has to be cool because this guy is going through some shit. And I really felt for him at that moment. Um, and so it was an interesting thing for me because I had to throw out all my between the two ferns questions. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's what you wanted me to do. So uh, it was interesting for me because I usually do a bit of research before I have people on the show. So I usually, it's, if you do any research on how to be a good interviewer, it's the polite thing to do. It's the responsible thing to do. And you just don't go through their Wikipedia. You actually spend some time and you try to learn about these people a bit before you have them on the show. But also you should do some research on Wikipedia or IMDb. <laughs> sure, sure. There is that too. You can do the lazy one. Uh, so then uh, I hadn't done shit for this. So it was an interesting situation for me. Right before we go in the room, I was like, wow, this is going to be fascinating. How do I ask questions of someone that I don't know shit about. This is going to be interesting. Um, and it turned out to be pretty fucking fascinating. Did you end up listening to the episode? Have you heard the episode? I did. What did you think of the episode? How did it come out? Sound quality was good. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. <laughs> no, he he was like happy to be there. And yeah. to chat for the little bit that we had him for. And he, it was great, man. It, it was interesting. I had to go through and find like his more classical pieces of music, which I put in the episode, which he's an amazing fucking musician and he's an amazing keyboardist um and so you know fuck me at the end of the day fuck me for being that guy that wasn't paying attention to shit for for being lost in my bullshit little system that i did on instagram and not really doing it i was kind of a prick for that and then b uh for me not necessarily spending the time to do my research before i went there because it was such a second thought based upon everything else that was going on but then it became an accidental, really great episode. And the thing that was so fascinating about it is that I never really cared about Dream Theater. So even after I finished the episode, I was like, isn't this weird? And I would just say to people like, it's a random episode. This is such a weird random episode. It's such a good thing for the show. I sent that link out. I had more people that I am close friends with, close working partners with, came back and they go, I fucking love Dream Theater. To the point where I went, what? Like there's such a huge fan base for this and people that if I had brought it up saying that I love Dream Theater, I would expect myself to be made fun of for being a nerd that liked Dream Theater. I would never bring that up. I'd never be like, I'm a Dream Theater fan. And everybody would go, oh God, this guy, you know? I mean, they were playing like an amphitheater. It's not like they're not a popular band. Oh, dude, they were sold the fuck out too. Yeah. They were sold out when we went there. So it was it was a great accident. And I I got to meet someone that was really cool. I got to... Uh, be exposed to his story. And I got to understand and realize how many people really like this guy and how many people that I closely work with like this guy. Now, if I had to set a fucking algorithm to this show, which so many people like to try to get me to do, whether it's sponsors or everything else, who clicks on your show more, who listens to your show more, who likes your show more, I never would have fucking gone and done that Dream Theater thing. And then we wouldn't be sitting here doing this bullshit episode that we're doing. <laughs> so think about that is my point with this algorithm stuff. And it also comes to play with filmmaking. And most of the stuff that I'm known for as a director 
a majority of it was accidental. And I will be the first one to come out and say that it's accidental. It was made in post. I accidentally found that shot. I never could have fucking figured that out. If you're shooting a movie and you're the director and the animal handler shows up with a tiger, but you needed a lion, you're going to have to <laughs> rework that script a little bit. <laughs> so anyway, that's my point on um, algorithms and and just just be, I guess my point is just be cautious because we all get lost in this dopamine rush. We all get lost in it like... My life isn't going the way I want it to today. Uh, I don't have any friends around me today. I need to feel good in this moment. And I get it. And it's great. It's like having a fucking, it's like, you know, having a cigarette. It's like, you know, going and having a beer. It's the same fucking thing. Um, this this thing is that. But the, the big thing you got to look out for is that in that analytics, in those analytics, in that world, they can actually study ways to get into us, to make us feel certain ways, to make us get angry about things, to make us fight each other over things. And I'm not saying social media is all bad. Social media does amazing things. And it brings people together where they need to be brought together. People fight for the right things when they need to fight for the right things. But, you know, if the koala bears weren't dying, you know what I mean? Would you be getting as much traction? So it, it, it's, it's just an interesting thing to look at. And deal with and that's kind of why i wanted to bring it up on the show and you're like okay so this is a show about filmmaking and this is a show about this why does this matter this affects me every fucking day as a filmmaker as a freelance filmmaker i literally spend so much time trying to get myself out of this world in order to make things that are great and i don't know do you feel that way i i do feel like i, I learned something from the story uh if i'm uh <laughs> If I'm sexting Crystal, but I meant to sext Christina, uh, you know, and I make plans back, so I should just follow through, you know, give the gal a second shot. <laughs> you might have a great experience. <laughs> follow through with your plans, regardless if you meant them or not. such a prick <laughs> that's good advice okay we're back from uh, bathroom break and uh, wanted to get uh, out of the intense uh, rambling that I like to get into on the show and uh, spend some time with Brett because you came and hung out with us today uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show dude been years has it been fucking years uh it's been at least a year and a half, maybe two years. Oh, fucking time travel, dude. Yeah, because uh, last time I was on, uh, before we had started recording, I told you, ah, I think I'm going to do the short film at some point, eventually. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then you officially announced on your podcast that I was going to be making a short film. <laughs> so then the pressure was on. <laughs> All of your fans came at me and they're like, we got to see it. <laughs> so then I had to make it. So I made a short film. It's a uh, dark comedy called The Cuckoldress. It's, uh, it's been in a couple festivals since then. Spent a lot of money on credit cards because I don't understand how to get funding. <laughs> I'm still paying it off. Uh, it was my first short film. I know we've shot like sketches sure. before. 
Sure. But this was a film. Well, let me interrupt you <laughs> and just say congratulations on doing it because that's a big fucking thing. Congratulations on having the courage to get started. Congratulations on, ha- on creating all that credit card debt. And congratulations on uh, creating the piece, man, because that's a big fucking thing. I'm proud of you for making that, man. And I'm happy that uh, you would have made it whether or not you were on my fucking show, man. Like, I think it's great that you that you did that, dude. I think I might be the only person that's ever written, produced, directed, and did audio on <laughs> their own film before. <laughs> Wore a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, Brett Rodriguez over here. Oh shit! So you do that? <laughs> there was a point where my DP, uh, Travis Brow, he's awesome, great friend of mine. Uh, he had to like pull me aside into another room so as to not like uh, step on my toes in front of my crew to be like, "Listen, you got your audio hat on right now. I need you to get your director hat on because I need to know how to set up this shot." <laughs> And I'm just like still trying to check the levels of the, <laughs> the lavalier mics. I, I think we're good. Why do you think you were sinking into audio mode? Just because that's how I am. I mean, that's my day job. Right. I'm, I always get the, the cans on my head. And I'm, Is it like, a, was it a safety thing for you? Or was it easier to pick up the headphones and do that than it was to direct in that moment? It was just cheaper for me to do audio and <laughs> okay, direct than to hire an audio guy. <laughs> I'm just checking because you know that that could be a thing. Like, how how did you how did you like directing? How did you like doing that? I I like it because I feel confident and uh, I know what I want out of a performance, but I never want to be like a director director because I don't give a shit about cameras and the technology sure and shot lists but i know if i'm watching somebody perform if they're truly selling it or not and working on set every day and and i'm not directing i got all these ideas in my head that i just bite my tongue over because i don't want to step on toes but uh it does infuriate me when i'm watching somebody who could be a good actor but isn't being given any notes or they're given bad notes. Yeah. And what do you, what do you, what's an example of a bad note? Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I've worked on like shorts for people where they just have the actor do the same thing over and over again. And they don't give any sort of notes. I'm like, why the fuck are we doing this? This is literally the same take. Are you boom opping at this point? Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> always, always mime something on the podcast. Uh, it looked good. Don't worry. I liked it. I was really excited actually being in the room for the first time to see it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So that's very true. I mean, notes, everybody has their own style on giving notes, but uh, that's also like a confidence thing, I think, as a director and I think dependent upon how you, everybody comes into directing different ways. So you might be a visual person. You might be a tech person. You might be an actor that comes at it from that point of view. You might be a writer that comes at it from that other point of view. So when you get started and you're trying to find your space, and that's why I asked you about the headphones things, because I've seen a lot of young directors when they get started, uh, get so distracted by the technique that they know. And they go over to do that specific technique and they're taking that up that they 
that they get lost in that sort of, I don't want to say intricacy, but they get lost in that minutia and they're not actually opening themselves up to direct and opening themselves up to see all that stuff. Because the trick to being a decent director, in my opinion, is is literally having that bird's eye view and, and teaching yourself how to get above all that stuff so that you're just looking around. And you said, like, I don't care about lenses. I don't care about any of that stuff. You don't necessarily need to. I think a great director is somebody that knows a bit about those things and understands how the system works, understands that if you ask a, a DP to change a lens, that you know it's going to take him time to take it off the body, it's going to take him time to do that. You understand those restrictions, but you sort of have that bird's eye view over it and you're just able to like look at the whole thing. Um, did you feel like you ever got to that point on this set where you were just sort of examining what everybody was doing? Nope, I was too fucking busy. <laughs> Just sweating it out. Uh, I will say, I've, I think an extremely underrated element of directing is, is to properly communicate with your crew and your cast. And I think you're great at this, at just getting people comfortable with being in the right headspace. And I've worked with so many directors that are just shitheads to everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And another reason why I was really happy to be working with my buddy Travis Prow on DP is because we've worked with shitty directors and he's good at like sort of sliding in and just sort of like guiding actors into uh, making sure the shot's great and because the directors never know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> that's that's the bane of existence for a lot of cinematographers, really. So I, I always love working with him on set. That's great. Yeah, no, a lot of cinematographers are, are forced to have to step up their game. And I've been on sets, um, like commercial sets, where I've seen producers go over to the cinematographer and go, will you, just, will you just take over and take care of the actors and take care of this stuff? And I've seen that happen a lot. Uh, and sometimes that's an assistant director that does that. And sometimes that's even a fucking producer that does that, that, that steps that's in and so does That's so weird that. to me. Well, it, it all, it's, all about, it's all about why... Okay, look, if you're, if you're especially in the commercial world or music video world, right? If you're convincing somebody to let you direct something, um, that is a sales pitch within itself. And a majority of that time, you're gaining that position based upon your, your sales pitch over a phone, based upon your sales pitch in a meeting. So like if you're a charismatic dude, like if you're Taika Waititi, it, it's no surprise that he got fucking Thor. Because he's an incredibly charismatic guy. He's that type of guy that you want to be in the fucking room with. And uh, there are people that, that, that go through the action of just learning that skill. Learning the skill of being that person when you walk into a room. And there are fucking hack books out there on like body posturing. And like, I forget the guy that wrote all those books where it's like, if you want to dominate... If you want to be the guy that gets any woman when you go into a bar, here's all these fucking hacks. And it's some of the... I've read some of those. And honestly, they've helped me because there you I've, go. There you go. I've been that fucking like weirdo video game kid. And I'm learning how to socialize as a grown man. It's embarrassing. Uh, and it's fucking humiliating. <laughs> but I don't I mean need, to laugh at you. I just love no, your humility I, right I now. It's really great. to learn how to fucking like express myself i'm not a very expressive person that's like my main reason reason why i never want to be on fucking camera but i <laughs> i i'm 
I have like chronic bitch face or whatever the fuck they say. <laughs> like, like people will tell me later that when they met me on set or something that I just seemed angry all the time. I'm like, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> Uh, you're not an angry guy. I don't. You're, you don't come off as an angry. You might be an, like internal. Like every comedian, slightly is jaded. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you've been through some shit. We all have. Um. But uh, the point is, is that that stuff in that trashy book on for the wrong reasons. <laughs> there is solid stuff in there. There is stuff about body uh, posturing. There is stuff about body chemistry. There is stuff about. Whether or not, and we hate to do this and we hate to acknowledge it, but we all categorize people at first glance. We all do it. I'm trying to stop hunching over all the damn time. I'm trying to consciously stand up straight. This is my newest thing. Stand up straight like a goddamn adult. Yeah, you just roll those shoulders back and you got to fucking get them up. I'm actually probably going to get some sort of a back brace or something. So it forces me to stand. And why do you want want to do that? Because I want to present. Correctly. Good. Yeah. So back to the point, a lot of directors get these jobs because they're really good at that. A lot of these directors get these jobs because they have that chemistry. And a lot of these, uh, uh, some people are more focused on the art of getting it and not necessarily focused on the art of making it. And so then they find themselves in this position where they're now on set and they now, I don't want to say they have to bullshit their way through it because I'm not giving them enough credit. They have to try to figure it out as they go through it. And when you see someone be an absolute dick as a director, it's because they're dealing with their own insecurity on the fact that they're doing a terrible job. And so most of the time I see a director be an asshole is when he doesn't have the answers and he can't bring himself that humility that he needs to say, I don't know. I don't know that. And I don't know why this has become such a negative thing to say, I don't know. And maybe it's because of all that propaganda that comes out about directors being fucking geniuses, where the directors have the answers for everything. And that's what we think when we look at a director. This guy or woman or whoever has all the fucking answers. They've done all their homework. They were born with this. They had some fucking like dream one night and suddenly they know all the answers to all this shit. It's bullshit. It doesn't exist that way. And a majority of my day is a, on, a, on set is me going, I don't know. But part of my skill is that I hire people that might know. And I hire people that bring ideas that we don't know, right? We all don't know, right? Let's go home and try to figure this out. And that's where you make something great. And that's why filmmaking is exciting. Can you imagine if you had an idea in your head and then you just completely did that exact idea in your head, how fucking boring the process of that would be? We also don't learn anything if we pretend that we know something, right? If you say I don't know, then that is an opportunity for you <coughs> then to learn whatever you didn't know. Yeah, and so it, it's best off that we just fucking admit it. it, right? And then you, and then you get to learn it together. And then there's something interesting about uh, I'm going to fuck this up, and it sounds like manipulation, but as you're as you start to learn more about people, you start to understand that sometimes it's better to be a director that admits that he doesn't know, even if you do know. And if you admit that you don't know and you're allowing your crew to discover it with you, and then you can be guiding your crew to where you want them to be, um, 
but they're more on board with you because you're doing so. And they feel like they're discovering it. They feel like they're answering their own questions for it. And they feel like that they've made it, which they have. You're not taking that away from them. You're just, instead of going with an answer that you you know, you're just going, what do we got? And then they sort of try to figure it out. And then maybe they come up with something that, the reason why you do it is that maybe they come up with something that you never could have imagined. And that's really amazing. But oftentimes, you end up just sort of rolling back to what your original plan was. Uh, and there's a craft in doing that as well. That sounds like you're going back to some of the ancient philosophers where they would say that the best way to argue with somebody is not to just be aggressive and argue, but just to ask more questions. Yep, yep. And then sometimes you can guide people into changing their opinion when you're not like hitting them in the forehead. It's a tough thing. I'm not good. Like I'm okay at that skill. It's a tough thing to learn to get into that question based argument because a lot of arguments are based on being right. And when was that such an important thing? When was being right? Like, cause I've talked about this recently a lot of times when you're right, you're kind of a dick for being right. And a lot of times when you're right, you're alone for being right. And so why do we uh, put being right so high up on the fucking, on the achievement list? Because it makes us feel good. It gets us ratings on Fox News or whatever. <laughs> right. And then you sit there and go, ultimately doesn't make me feel good. Like if you're getting into a fight with like your girlfriend, you're getting into a fight and you know that, you're, you're right about something stupid and you get into an argument and you're just like, I know that what you did was this. And then you prove to that person that you are right. Then you deal with the aftermath. <laughs> of that. You deal with the aftermath of being the one that brought it up. You deal with the aftermath of being the dick that shows their in, in, inadequacy for this thing. And then you then have to move on and go, okay, good. So I was right. So what I, are we going to do? For I the rest did of just the do that like R- a weekend ago. <laughs> How did this go? This I, uh, <laughs> a funny story uh i asked a gal i was seeing if she wanted to see mean streets <laughs> okay uh, okay new beverly oh, cool. at midnight and uh we got drunk beforehand and i was trying to cut her off i was like you're gonna pass out if <laughs> during Christ. this this movie and uh she eventually did pass out which i was grateful for because she was fucking yapping throughout the whole movie to the point where all our neighbors were turning around let me interrupt you real quick and ask <laughs> was this the actual girl that you thought you were asking out or was this the other one? Oh no this is the one i i meant to <laughs> okay, okay. This, this is christina for everybody keeping track this is not <laughs> okay, crystal okay good <laughs> this one was kimberly oh, this is kimberly i'll, I'll give oh, her wow. real name <laughs> okay <laughs> okay all right all right and i was like i fucking told you <laughs> So how was the, I cut you off right at your fucking key point. So she was there and she was getting drunk. She was going to pass out and then she passed out and you were like, I fucking told you. Yeah. And then she angrily drove home after. <laughs> so what good did you get for being right on the whole thing? Got an asshole out of my life. <laughs> Who well, talks during a movie? <laughs> that is a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, you, a totally you don't need people point. like that in your life. But, you know, now if you continue to use that as a, as, a, as a barometer, so now as you continue to get old and you're like, if I go out with someone before a movie and you have this much to drink, you're going to pass out and that becomes your philosophy, then a good 15 years from now, 
you'll have a younger generation going, you're a very close-minded individual. <laughs> I'm going to get canceled. You're a very close-minded individual. I can go out and have 15 drinks and not pass out in a movie theater, but not everybody has 15 drinks and passes out in a movie theater. It's a fascinating thing, how our fucking brains work and how we have to catalog things in order to survive and how we yeah. grow. Somebody's shitty to wait stuff, you're done. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> but 15 years from now, maybe being shitty to wait stuff is the thing. And then you've been that guy who has been proudly saying that I'm a person that is not shitty to wait staff. And now a generation is like, says, fuck this guy, get him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Outed. Outed. I don't know. There's no right or wrong. It's, it's just interesting. And if you're making movies about people and you're examining people, it's you have to be able to step back and look at these things. You have to be able to ask yourself, why is it that we do these things? Because then I have to convey that. You have to convey that on screen and it has to be believable. You have to understand exactly why it is we do it. Because if not, then it's fake. Like I'm just like, ah, oh, they're up all night on their fucking phone. But why? Because well, everybody's on their fucking phone. But why? Uh, because their girlfriend hasn't called them in three weeks and they haven't had any physical contact and they're feeling kind of lonely and maybe they're surfing the internet for something that's interesting and I'm not talking about porn. I'm talking about validation. Maybe they find this. Titties on Instagram. Maybe they find. Technically not porn. Maybe they find this uh, picture of a koala bear screaming in the forest and they post it on their Instagram account and they get like all these likes and a couple cute girls respond to them and say, oh my God, I never knew that you cared that much about koala bears. And then they can close their eyes that night and feel like they've got some sort of thing. And so then that's the reason why I put that in the movie. And then everybody goes, wow, that means something now. Okay, yeah. So it's about understanding why we do these things. That was a long way for me to say that. <laughs> but you got there. I got there. I found it. I found it. Uh, so let me ask you some questions. Because Fuck. you started as a fan. Now that he's been on an episode, I can see it in his eyes. He's not necessarily a fan anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, I still, like, normally I yell out my opinions in the car when I'm alone. <laughs> I just saw him unfollow you on Instagram. <laughs> That's two. That's two. It's both the, both the podcast and him. yeah. Wouldn't that be the worst? My intern unfollows me on Instagram. Fucking figure it out. You got AI for that shit. <laughs> He's like, this guy does not know me. Fuck him. Backwards old ass man. <laughs> Backwards piece of shit. He, um, he doesn't fall asleep after talking through a movie. <laughs> So, um, how did you how did you come to listen to this show? How did you initially come to listen to this show? I hated myself, and then it just found me. No, I. Uh, That's how we all get in a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I listened to a lot of um, filmmaking podcasts, and I really liked motion design. So I started looking for ways to uh, learn outside of the classroom, different motion design things. So. I found Grayscale Gorilla, um, and then I found School of Motion. Okay. And the School of Motion podcast uh, had an episode where it started off saying, hey, if you're, uh, <laughs> you're going to listen to this, just be aware that normally we try to keep it PG, um, but this one kind of goes R-rated. <laughs> and so just be aware that there are going to be some curse words in here. So if you're not comfortable with that, maybe skip this one. And I was like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> And then you came on and dropped the F-bomb more times than I could count. 
and you're like, this is bullshit. You know, everything fucking sucks, but that's the reality of it. And, uh, and I was like, I like this. Where can I get more? And you were like, I got this fucking podcast. I was like, okay. So I listened to it and, uh, yeah. I didn't do that intentionally, by the way. It's not like, and for those of you listening at home, it's not like I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to go on the show. I'm going to drop the F-bomb strategically to get people to listen to the show. It's just, I knew Joey for a while. He did VFX on an old music video we did. What was the band? It was the one with the dude screaming in the desert. What the fuck band was that? Are they dying? No, it was another one. So we did a video, all green screen. He did all the removal for it. So I know Joey as a dude that worked for me as a, like on my crew. So it was that kind of thing. And then Joey had so much success. Like he started, because he used to just work as a VFX guy in Boston. And he started School of Motion. And that blew the fuck up. To the point where yeah. that's his full-time fucking job. Like that's what he does. Joey's such a really good dude. Um, and I just reached out to him because I was starting this and I was just asking his advice on like revenue streams and how this thing could work. Um, and he was like, why don't you be on the show? So when I got on that show, it was like talking to the dude that was doing my green screen comp. So it was like, oh, and this fucking thing and that fucking thing and this fucking thing. So that's funny that there was even a warning at the top of the show. Cause whenever I listen to podcasts and there's a guest going, uh, can I swear on this thing? I'm always like, of course you can. It's a fucking podcast. Like, who doesn't swear on these things? Right. <laughs> and apparently there are some people that don't so, have swearing on these so things. Here's the thing about the School of Motion podcast. The majority of episodes with swearing have that moment where they're like, wait, can I say fuck? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. But this one needed that, that warning. And I was like, this is it. Yeah, that's... I think I came out of the gate being like, yeah. fucking Joey, what's up, <laughs> motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's fascinating. And so you've come out here to California because you wanted to help on this show and you wanted to get more experience with this stuff. And get the fuck out of Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania is where you're initially from, which is which is cool. Tired of drinking all that water. That water. Oh, look, I'm from Jersey. <laughs> uh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's water. Um, that's how you pronounce it. I also like I'm from Crayola country. Uh-huh. Like the, the Crayola factory, like literally Crayola's headquarters are, um, in my backyard basically. And so it's like, it's, I'll, I fight people there. It's pronounced Cran. <laughs> I'm seeing a fucking trend here. I, like, I, yeah. I'm, I don't I'm like si- it either. Yeah. Yeah. I, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I see, a, I see a, a segment on our shows at this point. <laughs> It's going to piss you the fuck off because you're going to be editing all these episodes and you're going to be like, these motherfuckers are pronouncing it wrong. It's going to be your thing. I can't wait. I mean, yeah. I'm going to mispronounce things intentionally on this show. I believe you. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, we're going to be together for a few months. and um, Hopefully. So what do, you, uh, what do you want out of this experience? What are you trying to get out of the show? I, I want to basically understand... You know what what goes into creating a podcast and and having it continuously run. Um, you, I mean, like the whole point of season two, you've been saying that you want to get bigger, better, all that stuff. Uh, grow the show, grow the um, user base, uh, uh, listener base, and then also grow the advertisers. Yeah, that's <laughs> AI motherfuckers. Uh huh. Uh huh. But you know, I mean, get insight into what it means to actually build a base yeah but literally it was like i i was just sitting there going like oh my god i grew up on uh, on music videos that this guy fucking shot and i was like that was cool so i just wanted to know 
what you like what you brought to set and possibly learn some of the creative stuff that you you know you have through your experience basically all the shit that an intern does learn from somebody who's been doing it longer good uh well no i'm happy to have you i'm um honored that uh, you wanted to work on the show and uh i think that uh we've got some interesting guests lined up over the next couple months all purposeful guests no yes (laughs) real guests real exchanges Sometimes phone call exchanges, sometimes actual physical exchanges. Yes, real guests. And some Instagram guests as well. I think I remember which one is which. (laughs) But yeah, no, we're going to have some good stuff. Um, And uh, I want to have you on the show more often, Brett, if you want to come by. I'm like 20 minutes away. Mm, I like it. We'll have some beers and talk some shit and then regret it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally regret it. What's uh, what's going on with you? You got anything coming up? Yeah, I got. Uh, I don't. Depending upon when this ep comes out, hopefully next Tuesday, I will be screening my film, uh, The Cuckoldress. If you're in the L.A. area, Thursday, January sixteenth, at uh, Silver Lake Shorts at El Cid, which is a really cool bar. Uh, come on down. And if you are not in the L.A. area, it is on Amazon Prime. Because I found out any asshole can upload their film on Amazon Prime. There's no no one telling you not to. Really? You really? Get, I've made a whole 20 cents off this <laughs> beautiful eight-minute film. What did they take for a cut, do you know? Uh, I think they're taking an even bigger cut now since January 1st. Really? So I'm making even less money. And frankly, I don't really like to look at those numbers. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, like, because I've looked into some of that, like how you do your own self-distribution stuff. It's really tough, man. I saw this really good quote when I was watching um, The Hollywood Reporter, and it's one of the new episodes. It's the roundtable, director's roundtable. It had like uh, Martin Scorsese on it, Todd Phillips on it, um, uh, Greta Gerwig is on it. Um, and there was uh, a director who I had never heard of before, uh, Lulu Wang was on it and everybody that had there was like three directors around this table that had something that was on netflix and they were all in pro netflix mode makes sense they're like it's amazing this is a great movie what's his name who directed um the marriage story was also on there as well noah bombach or something like that and so they're all sitting around this table and they're talking about it and uh lulu says look if you're martin scorsese it's a great thing to get on netflix it's a great fucking thing. And she had the balls to say it to Martin Scorsese, which I thought was really cool. If you're Martin Scorsese and you're on here, it's because you're Martin Scorsese. It's because everybody's going to watch it. And if your movie gets put on a queue, it's going to be high on that list. It's going to be the thing that they're promoting and doing. She's like, I was asked, I've got offered to put my movie on the streaming service for more money on the streaming service. And she turned it down. And she intentionally went with A24. She intentionally went with uh, like an indie studio for the direct reason I thought this was really great because she was allowed to start to build her brand as a director through A24 as opposed to saying yes to being put on that streaming service and essentially putting a, a fucking letter in a bottle and throwing it out into the ocean yeah, you just get mixed in with the rest of the trash exactly and so why is 
decision of her. Exactly. And so it's fascinating. I think it's great that you're able to get on the podcast and say, I have a movie on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and it, it, you didn't have to follow it up with like anybody could put it on Amazon Prime. You literally could have just been like, I have it on Amazon Prime. And people would have been like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. This is a fucking thing. It's good for promotion stuff. But as far as getting eyes on it, have you seen any traffic Coming through Amazon? Yeah, it, it will show you the analytics. Oh, how are the analytics? <laughs> uh, people are watching it in the U.S. They're watching it in the U.K. Um, currently awaiting Amazon Germany to give me the okay once those uh, subtitles get approved. And it shows you uh, how many minutes are being spent uh, watching it. You can't see how many users have watched it. Uh, so it's an eight-minute film, and I recall there were some days where people only watched like three or four minutes of it. <laughs> and then they were like, not for me. <laughs> I thought this movie about the cuckoldress was going to be about something else. <laughs> do, do they tell you how many people have watched the movie in, in general? No, just minute streamed. That's it. So this could be an average of like... Uh, 400 people, this could be an average of five people. You don't know. Yeah, maybe 400 people are watching one minute of it each. That is so fucking fascinating to me. I wonder why they don't tell you the numbers. I wonder... I wonder why they don't tell you the fucking numbers. They'll tell you if someone has rented it. Because I do have options for people to rent it. Instead of... If they don't have Amazon Prime, where they can normally just stream it for free then you can rent it for a couple bucks. So they'll tell you how many people have done that? Yeah. And then you get like half of the $3 or not even maybe. Huh. So fucking strange. There's got to be a reason why they're not telling you how many people view it. There it is. There's that fucking thinking that I have. If only there was a company that could show us the analytics. (laughs) (laughs) Of cinema. I always, I don't know why I do it, but I always default back to like the cynical side of me where I'm just like, what is the purpose of you not telling me? Show us the emails, Amazon. Yeah. You know, I don't know why I do that. Uh, Gina keeps telling me I need to be a more positive person. Well, fuck her. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> love you Gina <laughs> uh, so that's great that's great that you're on Amazon Prime um, but uh, are you just trying to get it out there I mean you got into how'd you get into this uh, to the screening night is this a festival or is it no not a, a festival just because it's it's the winter months in Los Angeles not much is going on so they're just like so this one month that this screening thing is happening they're like anybody can submit and I, I'm pretty much done even trying to promote this thing. <laughs> I want to move on. But I'll, I'll get a couple more eyes on it, maybe. That's great. What's the log? Do you have a log line for it? Do you have like a like a, a synopsis that, it, that uh, is fast? Do you have a fast synopsis for it? I wrote a couple different ones and none of them are great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like the title, The Cockledress, you get an idea. It's... If you like Todd Salon's, like I realized how much the film Happiness was on influencing this after rewatching that movie not long ago. Uh huh. It's it's the same dark comedy. <laughs> I love. I wish that other like big knife directors would be pitching their movies the same way you're pitching the movies on podcasts. <laughs> and this is why I'm fucking so broke. <laughs> 
I, I've, I don't have a manager. I don't have an agent. I, I don't know what a meeting is like. I'm just like, well, you know, I made this movie. I don't even remember the thing I wrote down to promote it. I've posted about it on Facebook like four times. I wish that David Fincher was on his show and they're like, what's the log line for this movie? And he's like, oh, I wrote like two or three, but yeah, it they sucks. all sucked. <laughs> but go watch it. Hey, do you know this other movie that's really intense and very depressing and makes you feel like shit when you're done doing it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm passionate about identifying with that movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's the you know that movie that bums everybody out. <laughs> yeah. That was the main influence for my movie. <laughs> yeah. You know that movie that jokes about child rape all the time? Oh, yeah. God, those Big movies. Big influence are, on Mike. Those movie, Todd Phillips' movies are fucking brutal, man. Not Todd Phillips, Todd Salons. Todd Salons, sorry. Uh, for oh, the record, there's no rape in my film, no children. <laughs> there's a furry scene, if you're into that. Uh, but that's it. You're, I've seen it. You sent it to me. It was great. Thank you. It was great. I was very it's proud. It's going on the back of the DVD cover. Mike says Mike it was great. He says, great. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I opened it. It opened. Yeah. That's, that's what it should be. I got the email. Oh, it I played? It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was really cool, man. I'm proud of you for fucking doing it. Because do you have the bug now? Do you want to make another movie? I'm going to make another one once I'm happy about the script. Once I get some more writing projects done. Uh-huh. Get my little writing packet together. Uh-huh. Anybody out there is hiring for a writing room, itching for a job, <laughs> Not trying to record sound forever. This whole episode, because of the algorithm, will be blacklisted. It will never show up on any suggestion. Have you, oh, have you guys heard about what's happening with YouTube right now? With uh, the children's content? Mm -hmm. I don't know the details exactly, but I know people can't advertise to kids anymore. Mm -hmm. right. And and like when you go to upload your clips, I just did this the other day. When you go to upload your clips, you have to go through a line of questioning. And they ask you like, is there any children in this spot? Do you say anything disparately towards kids? Oh. It's huge. It's yeah. a huge thing. A new step has happened. They've uh they've removed commenting from um anything for kids. And so you do have to put that like check if it's for kids or not for kids changes the different ads that are able to be added to the, uh, uh, the videos. And then it also changes, um, you know, like the commenting, if you're able to like or dislike, if you're able to boost it, the, all that stuff. Mm. I was listening. I had heard about it cause I listened to your mom's house. I listened to Tom Segura's show, which I really dig. He doesn't need me to give him a plug because they do so fucking great on their own, but I think it's a really good show. Um, and, uh, they were butthurt about it because they get a lot of their views on suggested clips and apparently if you have something that is flagged and if it's flagged it means it's not for children then your then your movies according to what i heard on their show don't get suggested and it actually really took a huge chunk out of their their numbers because you oh. know when you watch a show and it's like if you like this check out your mom's house if you like this you like that and for them, it must be twice as bad because their fucking show is literally called Your Mom's House. It says moms in the fucking show, you know, and it's kind of goofy and strange. And then you get on that show and they're, they're showing. The they're not talking about raising children. <laughs> not at all. I love that show. Um, I actually, hopefully the, he'll listen to this. I actually reached out to the producer on that show. I'm trying to get the producer on the show because I'd love to hear about how he produces because they do. A bunch of shows. They do uh, Your Mom's House. I know Christina, uh, who also is a host on that show. She has her own show. 
and they do Dr. Drew show. And then they also do uh, two bears, one cave, which is uh, Tom Segura and uh, Burt Kreischer. It's not enough beers for me. Not enough. Not enough. Uh, so I'm trying to get the producer on the show, uh, Blue Man, because uh, he runs all those and he does all the production on those. And I think it'd be really fascinating to find out how he does it. So if you're listening, brother, that's why I want you on the show. I mean, it sounds like I'm going to be joking, but as somebody who works in audio, I would actually be interested in listening to somebody who works behind the scenes for podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a unique interview. And you know, and you'll find this out as you start working for me, it isn't just one task. You know that he's also like trying to book people, you know, that they they film that show. So they do multiple cameras on that show. And and then they're also in charge of like the uploading and the social media aspect and all that kind of stuff. So, And then you're also dealing with the host who ends up becoming talent at that point. So you're dealing with the talent, which is interesting. So I think it would be a cool, it'd be a cool podcast. I wrote to him. I haven't heard back. I'm sure that he gets a fucking shitload of emails. I got to sort of crack through and try to find him. But it'll be good. I okay. love that this podcast has just turned into, what would be a good episode for us to do? <laughs> <laughs> we know this one sucked, but uh, you know it would be cool to get? <laughs> I don't think this one sucks. I think this one's pretty good. I think that we talked about a bunch of really good stuff. Um, and uh, we're just sort of dithering off, and I think this is a good time to end the show. Um let me, okay, let me ask you. We'll end the show on you, man. Like, Fuck. Is there, see, this is the stressful moment for him because he's listened to all these shows. Hit me. Um, is there, and I'm not going to ask for your advice. I'm going to ask a question. Now that you're here, now that you've been here and you've hung out with me a couple of days and we've done some stuff, is there a question that you've always wanted to ask face-to-face? Is there a question that you wanted to know in person? Mm. I yeah. actually have a bunch. Do you, do do you want, want me to ask? ask? Do yeah. you want to take one? And I'll, uh, this, this will be a whole other episode. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Yeah, I, I got some other shit-talking stories. <laughs> okay. okay. All right, so then uh, what do you got? So what's the, uh, well, okay. So you're, well, why are you doing this podcast? Ultimately? Ultimately. Why? Cause it's different times. You've said that it's because, you know, you need shit to do and that's why you did it. Other times it's because you want to connect with people that you don't have an opportunity to do it otherwise, but just like, yeah. Why? I think, um, selfishly, if I had to answer this question on a selfish level, I think the podcast is very therapeutic. I think that. Uh, being able to talk to people and confront my fears because I, like everybody else that's in this industry, I'm tackling uh, fear, depression, uh, uncertainty. I mean, there isn't an algorithm to fix that shit yet. So I'm tackling all of those things. And I find that when I sit and I talk to people that also work in this industry and uh, before I've done the show and I would go have beers with people, uh, we had a lot of the same fears especially directors. And with directors, you don't really get to go hang out on set with another director unless you're really lucky. Directors are sort of very much a secluded job. And you have to be that guy that knows everybody and that's friends with everybody, but you also have to be that guy that kind of has the answers. And you have to be that guy that people look up to or girl that people look up to, whoever the fuck is is doing it. Um, So 
having a venue like this enables me to get other directors in the room with me. It enables me to get other creatives in the room with me. Um, and then it just went further with it, where it's like, how often do I get to sit down with actors? And how often do I have a reason to get actors to sit down with me to do things? And then how often uh, can I sit down with people that I potentially want to work with and people that I want to collaborate with? Um, and uh, I said the story before, like I remember I was talking to my management and I said to them, I'd love to meet some production designers. And they were like, well, when you have a project ready, we'll introduce you to production designers. I'm like, shouldn't you do that now? Shouldn't I be meeting production designers now? Shouldn't I be forming relationships now? Because then we'll have this language that's in place. And they go, well, no one's going to talk to you until you have a project in place. So you're not going to get them until you have a project. And so having a show like this actually enables me to sit down with production designers because there's a reason for it. They can come in, they can sit down, and we meet, we become friends, and we talk, and it's really nice. So on a selfish level, that's what this show does for me. Um, but on a, a community level, on wanting to give back, I get questions all the time. You've written to me, asked me questions. I get questions from a lot of people. And there's something that happens after you've done this business long enough. If you cross that 10-year barrier, you cross that like 8 to 10-year barrier, where suddenly there's another generation that's coming up behind you that's looking up to you. For some fucking reason, they stumble across your work. Maybe it's a music video, maybe it's something else. And they start to ask questions and they start to say, hey, how do you do this? And I don't think I'm right for this business. And I was getting a lot of that stuff. And so instead of me writing long fucking paragraph emails to each person that would do this, I figured it would be better if I create a show, if I create a podcast in which I can do that. Because if they're writing to me for these things, then there's a there's a gap there. There's a hole there. Someone that's not discussing how to survive the long haul to make it to be an artist. How to process this fear. How to process this insecurity. And filmmaking and stand-up comedy and fucking cinematography, there isn't... There isn't a set of rules. Like, if you want to be a firefighter, you go to fucking Firefighter Academy. You go and you apply to become uh, EMT or paramedic in the private industry. And you log those fucking times. And you go through this process. And eventually, if you're fortunate enough, you get hired on a fire department. And then you make your pension. There's a set set of rules for doing that. There isn't that in this business. Like... Uh, there are people that spend their entire lives working so hard to get it and become such wonderful masters at their craft and no one knows who the fuck they are. And then there's some asshole that has an uncle and they walk in a room and then they are suddenly directing a giant movie. So like there's, there's, there's no rhythm to this. And I think I realized that when I was doing 12 Cam. And I was doing 12 Cam and it was one of the hardest projects that I've ever done in my life. I had to create... 1980s Russia outside of Boston, period, Russia. So like props and extras. And I was so incredibly stressed out on the first day. And I remember coming home and I just was like, I can't sleep. I don't know what to fucking do. And so I just started to hunt through YouTube. And I had to hunt through YouTube to find interviews with, with directors that I like just for inspiration, just to get me going. And I think I saw something with David Fincher. I won't be able to reference it completely but I think I saw a clip with Fincher and Fincher was like every first day on set I feel that way and I went oh he feels this way and then I saw another director 
every first day on set, I feel like this. And I went, oh, he does. And then it occurred to me, oh, this is my job. So it doesn't matter if I feel this way today on my little movie, or if I feel this way if I got hired to do Godzilla 3, which I, I'd like to. Uh, Fingers crossed. It's going to be the same. It's going to be the same. And so then I realized, fuck, this is my job. My job is actually getting through this fear. My job is actually surviving this moment. Um, and having that, and I had to dig for that. It wasn't like I could go to a spot and be like, how do I deal with this anxiety? And the, it, there isn't someone out there talking about it because it's not sexy. There's nothing sexy about this. There's no super sweet gear. Sponsorships are tougher to get because of this. It's harder to get people to give me money for the show because I don't have a fixed purpose. It's not like I've hit this demo of like, here are a bunch of cinematographers and they all want to know how to use this lens or here's a bunch of graphic designers and they all want to know how to use this, this program. That's easier to do. Ours, this show is a lot broader than that. This show is about that fear. When you decide that I am going to quit my fucking job at wherever it is, that gives me an, a weekly rate and I'm going to start this. When you decide that you can print on a business card that you're a sound man, when you decide that shit, that comes with fear and that comes with anxiety and you're desperately buying books, looking for places, looking for spots that have a roadmap. I'm not going to write a book because I don't think there's a roadmap that I can put down on paper that's going to be the same fucking 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And that's what's so interesting about this show. And if you listen to the show, you'll hear my point of view change as the show goes, which it should. And that's what's so cool about having this podcast. It's very malleable. It's, I'm here to tell you guys what I'm going through and to let you guys know that I'm going through the same thing that you're going through. And if you're looking at me going, this is Mike. He's got a bunch of followers. He's got two movies in production. He's really great. I am still living with roommates. I am still in the same position that you're in. And if you don't think you can feel comfortable and find the happiness in this lifestyle, get the fuck out. Seriously, go do something else because you're going to be depressed. You're going to go through all that stuff. And if, if you're more focused on these little things, the fact that we get to hang out now, the fact that I get to have Brett on the show, the fact that we got to go hang out with the dude from Dream Theater backstage, you know, the fact that we can take that story and make it into something really great and, and without that much effort, just showing up and that becomes something that we can talk about. That's a story that you and I will talk about for years. Remember that day that we went and did that? That becomes a marker on my life and that is more important than finishing a film. That is more important than winning a goddamn Golden Globe. And if you look at all these directors and you look at all these creatives on your fucking deathbed, you're not going to go, grab my Golden Globe. You know what I mean? You're not going to ask for that. You're going to sit there and go, I remember that day that we went and interviewed the guy from fucking Dream Theater. And that's what this show's about. What was your question again, Liam? <laughs> How did he feel about Birds of Prey? <laughs> oh, it's just it'd been a while. I forgot. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> so did that answer your question? Yeah. All right. Good. All right. So I think this is a good point to end the show. It's been a chaotic one. 
I appreciate you both being on the episode. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody at home, for listening to me rant and rave on this one. And uh, uh, as I like to say now as I close the episode, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.